1: to the Film 89 podcast. My name is Sky and I'm the editor of Film89.co.uk and with me is... Hi, it's Neil Gaskin, writer and news editor for
2: Film89.co.uk and, and with me is...
0: <laughs> I'm Stephen Amos and I'm a writer also for Film89.co.uk. Okay gentlemen, it's uh, our
1: episode of the film 89 podcast the the second difficult album so to speak just want to say thank you to everyone uh giving us such positive comments on social media after the first episode Uh, confession time that episode was never meant to air it was done purely as a practice run but once we'd finished putting the uh, final editing touches on it we thought you know this might just cut it let's just put it out there and i've got to say we've been absolutely overwhelmed with the positive response and you know we couldn't be more pleased and hopefully we're just going to be able to increase the quality um, of the show and just make sure that you've got a a fun, entertaining and informative regular podcast about film and TV. Uh, This episode we're going to have a rundown of the recent uh, 2018 Golden Globes Awards, Uh, looking ahead to the Oscars and just talking about a lot of the controversies that's gone on. Um, Last year um, has been a tumultuous year for Hollywood with a lot of terrible revelations about some of the things that have been going on behind the scenes and then that has sort of come out in the the golden globes and there's been there's just so much to talk about there it's a bit of a sort of political hot potato and um, we're going to try and um, sort of pick apart a lot of the goings-on and and sort of what we think of what's what's been happening and also give our views on the uh, winners of the golden globes and See if there's going to be any sort of correlation between the winners there and the forthcoming Oscars. Our main review is going to be Martin McDonagh's Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. And then we're going to be giving you a rundown of our top three sports films. So, gentlemen, the Golden Globes.
2: Neil? Yeah, like you say, obviously, it's uh, this sort of big story this year was um, obviously the controversy that led out to the Golden Globes. I know uh, a lot of the
1: female. Oh, sorry, all, all of the uh, participants were actually wearing black, weren't they? And, uh... they, they were. I'm told uh, that there were two participants. Um, one which was sort of one of the main runners of uh, the Golden Globes actually didn't wear black. Um, but you know that that's they're not to be looked down on because of that. You know that maybe they didn't get the memo. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Obviously, it was, it was a it was a show of solidarity, wasn't it, against. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that's come out about sexual misconduct um, going on behind the scenes in Hollywood, something which has happened, well, probably since the dawn of the industry, I would have uh, I would have thought. Yeah, so Steve, um, what do you think?
0: Well, there were some um, good, some winners that um, people who I'm you know, really, really glad won, like uh, Guillermo del Toro, who I'm a huge fan of. Um, you know, we're going to dis- be discussing some of the big winners later, well, one of the big winners later. But I, I agree with you, with, uh, with regard to the people who didn't wear, you know, all black on the night. Though I think as soon as you start dictating that everybody should be wearing black, then it's, that's counterproductive. That's going against what the whole you know thing is about. Yeah, them. yeah, like, yeah lay on uh, the
1: Counterproductive, for me. Steve. That is basically because I think a lot of what's happening in the media now is anyone like everyone that showed up to the Golden Globes. There was no one that is in any way going to be an advocate of a despicable behind the despicable behind-the-scenes going on. You know, the 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 things which Harvey Weinstein has been accused of and you know several other big hollywood names you know and and that sort of just attitude and and sort of culture um that has been ingrained in hollywood and, and needs just basically to be stamped out everyone that was there that night was in support so to pick apart what everyone has done or not done in relation to it i agree it's counterproductive you know everyone's in it together people supported it to varying degrees the ones that supported it you know, as much as they could and were very open with their support, great. But the ones that supported in a more quiet, subdued fashion, you know, that that that's entirely up to
2: them. And there's almost that sort of um, hypocritical sort of angle to it as well because the amount of people who, who, who are openly supporting it now who have given interviews saying, yeah, I knew so-and-so was a creep, I knew that so-and-so was not to be trusted or left alone with. And you sort of think, well, there's a certain degree of when you stand up and say this beforehand, isn't there? You know? Yes, but
0: I, th- I also think that um, you know it always takes one to start off. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. a snowball effect, and we all know this has really been going on for decades. And you know, since the beginning of Hollywood, we've been stories of uh, you know the casting couch, yeah, you know, and uh, you know men going out and finding women and saying, "Okay, I can put you in the movies," you know. That's that's as old as time. This, you know, even King Kong back in 1933, they didn't have an actress. So they went out in the street. And they said, "I can make you famous." That's what it's about. So mm-hmm. it's all variations of that.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you know what we're going to learn about now in the coming months are just those actresses and actors who, because uh, you know, it's not just females who have been um, the victim of these assaults. Was proven with the allegations against. And I say allegations because obviously, until anything's proven, but. You know, there was no outright denials on the likes of Kevin Spacey in relation to the allegations of sexual misconduct, um, in his case, against males. It'd
2: be be interesting to see if anyone actually does make um, any sort of official sort of complaint against it. I think at the moment it's more being recognised. I don't think there's many... I don't think I've read, actually read of anyone who says, yeah, I'm going to look to prosecute this person, or I'm looking to make a criminal conviction against this person. Yeah, in, you
1: know, I, I don't know if that is happening behind the scenes. Um,
0: love behind the scenes Yeah, I think, think without doubt, Harvey Weinstein.
1: Yeah, his go way beyond simply sexual harassment. I think the allegations of him are outright, you know, full sexual assault and and in some cases rape, you know, things which they need to be prosecuted as as far as they can be. Um, Yeah, Harvey Weinstein, one of, you know, in the the last few decades, one of the most influential men in Hollywood and, you know, hopefully Miramax will be able to survive without without him, you know, and, and not, as a company fall, because you know they've been you know, a prolific company responsible for producing you know a great deal of films. Quentin Tarantino's films have been produced by Miramax, and I, I don't think that you know so many you know people employed by a company all need to suffer because of one man's wrongdoings. You know, as long as he is taken away from the company and, and then brought to justice,
2: I don't know. I mean, a, with the Miramax thing, it's quite hard, isn't it? Because as you say, they would, they'd be, especially Weinstein personally has been like a pioneer, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, pioneer the independent. Yeah, do you mean? And you look back on it now, but there's details about how it was written into his contract, literally on a sliding scale. You know, the first time you sexually harass someone, you got to pay 250 grand. After that, it's going to be 500 grand. It's shocking really to think that went yeah, on, it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that
0: just proves that they went just beyond him. Yeah, definitely. There yeah. So many people completely. Yeah. It, was, it was like Spotlight, you know, in Spotlight when they talk about it, yeah. it's not just the priests, it was the lawyers as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And everyone that was involved, anyone who turned a blind eye to anything like this, in the least, they've got a lot to think about. As much as when, you know, something like that is going on and people have got their own careers to worry about and they think if, you know, they, they don't want to be the whistleblower, the person who. Because they could be vilified then by the very industry they're trying to get ahead in. But still, these things are inexcusable. And hopefully now Hollywood will pull together. Hopefully there won't be, um, you know, an irrational witch hunt, and everyone will be. This is a different thing to that. This isn't political. This is about sexual harassment. This is about primarily men uh, taking advantage of women um, in a business where extremely cut and thrust. The thing that bothers me the most is when you look at actresses whose careers were on the, the verge of, you know, hitting Superstardom or Stardom yeah. in the least. Mm. And then they just scarcely heard of again. Actresses like Mira Salvino who, yeah. you know, when she was doing Is it Romney and Michelle's high yeah. school reunion? Well she um, said she was practically back- blackballed in Hollywood for that, wasn't she? Yeah. yeah. Mm. And obviously now her father, Paul Sovino, has been very vocal on <laughs> Twitter about what he intends to do to the person responsible for Cause... you know ruining his daughter's career and um you know whatever else he's he's allegedly done to you, know, you can you can understand that it's one of those rare cases where it's almost like life imitating art. Life the imitating way he's art. Spoke
2: about what he's going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you sort of get the impression he probably would. You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Or yeah, definitely would. I should
1: say. <laughs> yeah, so it well,
0: he could be on just a tough guy image. He's, yeah, he's a father look after his daughter. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Weinstein. Weinstein at the moment being the absolute most serial perpetrator of all of this, the one who seems to have been you know put under the spotlight obviously there are others who have had allegations um, laid upon them Um one of the one of the major sort of things that happened as a result of Kevin Spacey's allegations is the fact that um, all the money in the world um, the, the Ridley Scott film was then subject of some quite well now very well-known reshoots where Christopher Plummer was inserted into the role in place of Spacey what what do you think of that guys well, that's, that's led like to more controversy, hasn't yeah. it? Because there were some other reshoots. I'm probably jumping to go, I think
2: you're going to say yeah, the same that right. thing. Exactly. Honestly, <laughs> can I be
0: <laughs> well, no, it's the fact that uh, Mark Wahlberg, uh, uh, initially they said that everybody did it for free. And for about, I think it was about 10 days' work, it turned out that Mark Wahlberg got one and a half million dollars yeah. for it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Michelle Williams, uh, Michelle yeah. Williams, that's it. You know, got $1,000 yeah. on it. No, no, yeah, yeah.
2: basically if, about $80 a day or something. Yeah. Let's yeah,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. that, be honest. I'm a big fan of Mark Wahlberg. Um, he's, I think, he's a very underrated actor. But come on, you know Michelle Williams, pound for pound, she is gonna, she she is a better actor than Mark Wahlberg. Oh, Should not. she be paid a
2: fraction of what he's paid? Definitely not. And I think you know the the official line at the moment, and then there's got to be a degree of truth with this. So I will accept a little bit of it. Is that Wahlberg wasn't contacted directly? Michelle Williams was contacted directly. Wahlberg, they had to go through fifteen managers and twenty-five mm. agents mm. before they got to him. Yeah. They cut yeah. the deal. So whether he knew the situation or not, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to say for a second that he did. Perhaps he was under the impression that she was being paid equally as well. Yeah, no, it,
1: yeah. It, it's it's about it's about the people behind the scenes. It's about the producers, the film companies, the you know the executives who are deciding how much these actors get paid and. For Wahlberg to get paid that much and Michelle Williams to get paid a fraction of it is just completely ridiculous, it's completely disproportionate and yet it's it's sort of more controversy heaped on top of controversy.
2: Yeah, you like to think he always seems quite a stand-up guy, I, I think someone of his ilk, I think you'll look yeah. into that. I think he says he's been very quiet yeah. so far,
0: you know, so we, yeah. we don't really know what... Uh, What's happened behind the scenes with that? No, that's right, that's right. I can imagine him getting a little bit more because he is the bigger star. And well, people do go to the cinema because of at, at the moment. Woodward. Well, yeah. But like not, was it I don't know, fifteen thousand times. <laughs> no, yep, Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Not to that degree. Um, well let's be honest,
2: that's less than most extras in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it was in a, in a recent article um, I saw in Variety that uh, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, is, was in 2017, the highest paid actor in the world. Was it? Yeah. yeah. I think it was the year before, was it? The Rock. The Rock was the year the before. The Rock was the year before. Possibly, I know, Robert Downey Jr. has been up there. But I saw in, in that list, the, the first woman to appear on that list of highest paid actors was something um, somewhere in the region of uh, number 29. So the highest paid actress on the, the list, on the combined list of highest paid actors, yeah. both male and female, the first female didn't appear until the 20s, so that still, that shows that there is still a massive disparity in the amount of money females are getting over males. Which, yeah. you know, know, a
0: couple it, of years ago, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, she was making more money, her films were making more money than any other actor or actress yeah. in Hollywood, and yet she was still getting paid less yeah. than yeah. a lot of actors.
2: And you, the... I think until you get to the sort of big hitters, you, you, your metal Streep's and your Helen Mirren's, mm. that. They're almost, um, like you say, there's a certain marquee to people like Mark Wahlberg. There's a certain marquee to names like that. But I know with Gal Gadot, she got, I think it was a couple of hundred grand for Wonder Woman. Yeah. And you kind of look at that and think, well, that's definitely the best DC film that's been brought out. Definitely the most profitable DC film that's been brought out. So I hope that there's some sort of deal put in there for her to get a a cut
1: of that, you know? And, you know, she put in a solid acting performance. She... I can't say that I was overly impressed with what little we saw of her in Batman versus Superman, but then in Wonder Woman under Patty Jenkins, with a admittedly with a much better script, I thought she was fantastic as far as the physicality she brought to the role, but also the fact that. You know, she was just beaming with charisma and I just thought she was fantastic. She's um, almost
2: uh set in our standard now, isn't she, where she is the character, you know, the same way yeah. you sort of always associate Christopher Reed.
1: Christopher Reeve with Superman, Robert yeah. Downey Jr.
2: You know, it's, yeah. she's yeah, created I, that, that I now, thing now thing could not see any she?
1: other person playing Wonder Woman than Gargado, and I think the majority of fans are going to agree with that. She's just she's been completely embraced by, you know, movie fans in general. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see anyone else.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, Linda she, spin as round. She, she
1: doesn't she spin still, around still no, still no. Spin as, as much, but it is yeah. that, that little gif that's been doing the rounds of her doing that little um, I like that dance gift, on the yeah. set, yeah, and, yeah, I and, like you know, it, I, I do like that, yeah. <laughs> so, going on to um, the wins in some of the big categories, best motion picture uh, nominees were in the category of drama, The Shape of Water, the Post, Dunkirk, Call Me By Your Name. And the winner was three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. So, any thoughts on some of the nominees in that category that weren't successful? Well, I
0: think we've all seen Dunkirk, haven't
1: we? Yeah, we all we all yeah. saw Dunkirk, and for reasons I won't go into too much, we, we sort of put it around amongst us, and no one bothered um, wanted to review it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and I know for if little, I mean,
0: yeah. and that
2: that that's probably quite a slight on the film because that makes it sound like I, the, the, no one liked the yeah. film. I think if if,
0: if the film itself, if it was about any other event during World War 2 I think it would have been a perfectly decent film. But because it was about the miracle of Dunkirk and they took the miracle out of it... Yes. I agree, yeah.
1: yes. Um, there's there's going to be a piece posted on the site very soon uh, written by our friend and colleague, Hayden Spirell. He He's doing a series on the films of Christopher Nolan and ultimately that's going to result in um, a review of Dunkirk. So we are going to be you know, posting a piece about it. And I think... For once, we were all pretty much in the same boat about the film. I think we all... Yeah, I mean... Like we all had similar issues with it. In so much as, like, my personal ones with the fact that it just did not have enough of an epic feel to it. The, you know, there were 400,000 men rescued from that beach. Yeah. And, you know, there were stories of Christopher Nolan not wanting to um, use um, that much, in a way, of CGI enhancement. And I think because of that, the film sort of lost out because the thousand actresses upon that beach did look like a thousand men. Instead of four hundred thousand. Yeah, and it almost does a disservice to
2: all the, all the men that were there. I think. Yeah, that, yeah. And, and I don't, I don't think that was yeah. his intention, but yeah, for yeah. me, yeah.
0: But I also read that it was thirty thousand French um, soldiers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Excuse and yet you know there is a, a storyline involving a mm. French soldier. One sneaked on basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse <You know>. me. <laughs> well,
1: I just think that um, with with Nolan, on this occasion, I think he's been a little bit too much concerned with the technical side of things and the editing and I just don't think the film had, it, it just didn't shock me in the same way as that opening 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan did. Yeah. That, that's, that's a film that's now 20 years old I will still to this day be affected in the same way as when I first saw it. it it's just incredibly shocking incredibly visceral and I think that by going down the PG-13 route and almost sanitising that event because you see bombs getting dropped amongst Uh, groups of men on the beach they get flung away and then you see them land and their bodies are intact and we've already seen that that is not what happens when heavy artillery and bombs hits a human body Mm. now i don't want him to glorify the violence but the fact is these men did experience that sort of thing and that is what went on please mr nolan do not insult your audience by sanitizing it yes it's for me, it's always a
2: difficult subject with World War Two because um, you know, I always think, you know, this is your grandfather. This is, you know, this is, you know, the, yeah. the old guy, Matt, the old man down the road type thing. And it, it, we've had this conversation before. We have. We? Yeah. When I've said to you, it's not that I don't like war films, but I always find them almost sort of disturbing, and especially when it's World War Two drama. Yeah. For that, because it, it, it just seems too real, and it's a fine line, isn't it? Like you say of glorifying it and sort of over, sort of zealous, sort of, yeah. you know CGI effects. But then you have to show how serious it is as you well. Do. It's, yeah. a, it's yeah, a very yeah, fine yeah.
1: line to walk, isn't it? You know. Yeah, and I think um, you know, it, it it the film does a hell of a lot right, and we're not, you know, I'm not saying for a second it's a bad film. It's just I, I did have particular expectations of it, and you know, I just think that there was a much better film there. And I think when the people get over the sort of ooh and ah about the you know the, the gorgeous looking IMAX, uh, I think that you know I, I don't know if it's going to be as revered. As you know, films like *Private Ryan* and *The Thin Red Line*. And yeah,
2: you know. I think it's, it's, is it going to be a film we're
1: talking about in twenty years' time the same we were talking about *Private Ryan*? Mm, time, time will tell. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, any other films there? We've got well, the winner: Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri*. Uh, not to we'll give anything to away, but we'll come back <laughs> to that. Musical or comedy? You had *I Tonya, *The Greatest Showman*, *Get Out*, *The Disaster Artist*, and *Ladybirds*.
0: Uh, anyone want to say anything about I that? I do like the fact that *Get Out* was nominated for musical comedy. Musical
1: comedy, yeah. yeah. They, they asked the director if he thought it was a musical comedy. He said, no, it's a documentary. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> documentary, thriller, horror. <laughs> yeah. and it, could, it, it could cross several genres, but uh, musical, I, I wouldn't have comedy. Like you said, several I could put it in,
2: but uh, I wouldn't have put it in either of those, to yeah. be honest, no.
1: Neil, I know you've seen uh, I, Tonya recently. What, what are your thoughts on that?
2: I, Tonya definitely deserves to be in there. Um, having watched it, we all remember the story. We're all familiar with the story. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's an enjoyable film it's very and having Margot Robbie in it is a direct link as well it's very Wolf of Wall Street let's put it that way um, it's not on the same level as Wolf of Wall Street but it's still an enjoyable watch and Alison Janey uh, is
1: a standout for that, I movie. Mean. The Disaster Artist, Neil. I think maybe we'll leave that until we... We'll wait until we come to James Franco. Be yeah, I'll be at, we'll that. Come um, then you've got The Greatest Showman, a film which um, I was lucky enough to see uh, recently. And I'm probably not the best judge of musicals given it. The fact is probably the genre that I dislike the most. But I've got to say, once I got past some initial misgivings in the first five minutes, I sort of went with it and found it to be quite an enjoyable film. Um, enjoyed it a lot more than I thought. You've got, then, best performance in a motion picture by an actor, Gary Oldman, winning for Darkest Hour,
0: the yeah, Winston Churchill
1: right. biopic. Steve, I know you've obviously written a piece about that for Film 89.
0: Yeah, what well you've just said about the greatest showman, which is um, Barnum, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, apparently, in real life, he was not a very nice man. No. And yet this film makes him out to be a better, yeah. very nice person. And similar with Darkest Hour, because, you know, Everybody thinks of Churchill during the war years, but outside the war years, he wasn't a nice man. He, he was, was the perfect a... man for the war because yeah. he wanted, you know, he wanted a tough bastard to actually <laughs> you know, lead the country in the war. Yeah. But other than that, he wasn't. And this film makes him out into it like a bit of an eccentric uncle. Right. And that's the biggest feeling. It's yeah. a brilliant performance, but it is aimed at awards as well. Yeah. So because of that, I was thinking to myself, I don't really want him to win. Mm. He's done a lot much, you know, much better performances in the past.
2: So it's more of a, like you say, it's more of a performance, more of a character rather than it, a, a, a reality-based yeah, yeah. character. Yeah, it's
0: it's, um, it's complete myth. Yeah. You know, he is a nice person. He, he, he's, you know, grumpy. He's, uh, he doesn't really think of other people's feelings. But doesn't, you know, just like, oh, he's an old granddad, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, that didn't work with me. You know. yeah. The film is entertaining because it's not, you know, it hasn't got that reality. And there's a great scene on the um, uh, on the tomb station because at one point he just gets out of the car. And he decides to go on a tube. Never really happened, but he's oh. there. He's, he's talking to you know all the commoners and they trying to you know because he's just trying to decide whether to you know be an appeaser or you know fight. And um, you know the, the commoners are the ones who t- tell him you know yeah we got to go and fight. And it's a, a, a great little moment, which I uh, you know if people have notice or not. But um, there's um, two people on there. There's a woman, a white woman, and a black man. And throughout, you swear that they were just you know two people just on the um, on the train together. And then Churchill says something like you know the uh, uh, lost causes are the you know the ones worth fighting for. And she turns to him, and you can tell they're in a relationship. Right. Now that was a great little moment. Yeah, it's good. But in real life, he probably would have detested it.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: and I, 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 that's almost like we were saying with the, the the war movies. It's almost doing a disservice to the character, to, to the, the actual person. Because yeah.
0: it's not playing to
1: the
2: reality yeah. of, yeah, of yeah. you know
1: the character and, it's and, and the events. And, yeah,
0: and but I think that it would be really good if you had a really gritty portrayal of you know Churchill and all these leaders, and not just to say oh they were of that time because obviously yeah. there's a man and a woman, one white, one black, we're in a race ship, so it wasn't all yeah. that time. Yeah. But it would be really good if we had a good British drama with all the warts and all. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like you say. It's it, to me, uh,
2: I've not seen the film. I'm going to go on what you're seeing, but that would make you more interested for me. If he, you know, if he is a, you know, if he is a grumpy old cantankerous bastard, yeah. but he's still getting the job done. You yeah, know, exactly. Which he did. So you got to respect yeah. him for that, anyway. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, You, you know. don't need you don't yeah. need to flower him up, do you? No, you don't, you don't need no. to. You know,
0: yeah. Afterwards, I was thinking about it, imagine um, Jake LaMotta, Bull, If you made him into a nice old, uh, you know, absolutely, yeah, yeah, he yeah. yeah. would
1: yeah. be
0: like that. You could still respect what Jake LaMotta achieved.
2: Yeah, but well, he, he himself, LaMotta, said it like later like years, didn't he? He said yeah. that in fact I was a bigger asshole than that. You know, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> he, 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 actually, he
1: actually turned to his um, his his ex wife um, when the film was released in 1980. And he said to her, he said, was I that much of a son of a bitch? And she turned to him and said, you were worse. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm getting mixed up. that his wife who said yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Gary Oldman winning, obviously, for um, his portrayal of Winston Churchill in Darkest Hour. You've got Actress. Uh, you've got Michelle Williams, Meryl Streep, Sally Hawkins, and Jessica Chastain were all nominated. Francis McDormand winning for Three Billboards. Without giving away too much about what we're going to say about Three Billboards in the upcoming review... Guys, Frances McDormand's performance in that film, is it worthy of a Golden Globe? Oh, yes. Definitely. Yeah, and I think she's a shoe-in as well for the Oscars. Fully agreed, and we'll, we'll have more on that later when we obviously talk about the film. Best performance in a motion picture, musical, or comedy... You had Daniel Kalua for Get Out, Hugh Jackman for The Greatest Showman, Ansel Algo for Baby Driver, Steve Carell for Battle of the Sexes, and James Franco winning for his performance as Tommy Wiseau in The Disaster Artist. I, I would like to, I've got to be honest, I haven't seen Battle
2: of the Sexes. I would like to see Carell get that. Although I will say Franco is chameleon like as Tommy yeah. Wiseau. It, 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 it astounded me. It astounded me because it'd be quite easy to almost parody that. And yeah. par- parody a parody, if you know what I
1: mean. Yes, that's right. He, he plays it straight. Yeah, he does. You know, he, and his performance walks a line of mimicry and parody perfectly, doesn't it? Yeah, without, mean, without actually falling into parody.
0: Well, I have to admit, when I first saw the trailer, because I didn't know who Tommy Weiser was, really, I mean, never heard him speak or anything. Yeah, and I, this can't be real. <laughs> no, I think well, a lot I, of people I thought I like that. if
2: it's Tommy was not real. I, I,
1: I hang <laughs> on to the hope that Andy Kaufman never died and he came back as Tommy Weiser. Yeah. <laughs> One thing on when Franco got up to accept the award and um, his brother was there and Tommy Wiseau was there with him. What do you think about the fact that Tommy Wiseau goes to grab the microphone to have his say, that was his big moment. Um, back when he made The Room in 2002, he had dreams of, of Hollywood notoriety and fame. And then when he's finally on stage at the Golden Globes, <laughs> yeah. the guy playing him takes the mic away from him. What do you think was the thinking there when James Franco stopped Wiseau from speaking? No, it, it
0: wasn't his big moment. It was Jim Franco's big moment. Yeah, but yeah. it wouldn't have been Franco's moment if it hadn't been for the fact that... I'm going
2: to go the other way. I think it was a, it's come across as this is my time, not yours. I actually think, from other interviews I've seen and the way Franco talks about Wiseau, I don't think he wanted Wiseau to spoil the moment yeah. for himself. I, not for Franco, thoughts. I think he was yeah. looking after him. That's right. I I don't
1: think that Tommy Wiseau, God bless him, is the sort of person that's going to have the eloquence required to get up in front of you know Hollywood luminaries and
2: not make a fool of
1: himself. And that sounds terrible,
2: but and I think it was almost Franco doing that. It was like, it's all right, you know, I got you, buddy. Don't don't. I've got your back, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to say the things that have come... I was going to say Franco seems like a nice guy with what I... Obviously, there's a rut of allegations about him after they called the close <laughs> as well, so I don't know. But I, I do think he has got a genuine affinity for Weizel and I know they spend a lot of time together. And I know as time's gone, has always been this mystery sort of character. Where did he get $6 million from? How come he had a department in LA? Yeah. That's why he's Andy Kaufman. I'm telling you, he's Andy Kaufman. <laughs> yeah. Kaufman didn't die. He's one of his characters. But... I do think that perhaps they've got a bond there and it's almost, like I say, it's a protective bond. And I know, I was watching uh, Jimmy Kimmel and Wiseau started revealing things and Frank was saying, you didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me that we were making a film. He said, oh, I didn't really know you. <laughs> you know, so I think, I think they've gone closer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Moving on to best actress in the category of musical or comedy, hell of a line up here. You've got Emma Stone, one of my favourite actresses. Margot Robbie, again, fantastic. And then you've got Helen Mirren and Judy Dench. Which, you know, we could talk for an hour about how great those two are. But um, Sosha Ronan winning for Ladybird, who uh, in the role of Christine McPherson. What do you think of any of those there that stand out? Any of the films you've seen that you, you want to speak about? What about Margot Robbie and I, Tonya, no? uh Margot Robbie is absolutely brilliant in I, Tonya.
2: It is basically playing the same sort of characters. I was going to go back, back again to Waffle Wall Street. That sort of tough-talking, inner-city in kid... But she is really good. She really embodies. It It quite surprised me when she first. She's a producer of the movie as well. Yeah. She actually thought it was fiction when she first got the script because she grew up in Australia. Yeah. You know, I imagine Oskie is totally not big. Hard in, and, yeah. Yeah. Controversy. But you know, you can tell the research has been done there. You can tell that she sat there and watched hours and hours of footage of it. You know, and it, you know, she really does pull off a performance. Is worthy of
1: at least a nomination there. And Emma Stone playing Billie Jean King in the um, tennis biopic *Battle of the Sexes*. What do you think of her portrayal of Billie Jean King? Uh,
2: again, definitely worthy of nomination. It wouldn't have surprised me if she'd won that. Really good. Really understated. There's, there's a gentleness to her performance. Really impressed me throughout. Yeah. It would have been easy to ram home, obviously, you know, because you, uh, you sort of see the development of same-sex sort of relationship just beginning. Uh, she's still married at the time. And it would have been easy to ram home a message there. And I don't think they did. They actually dealt with it really well. It was yeah. a really sort of delicate performance, but
1: still a very convincing performance as well. Yeah. Okay, moving on to Best Supporting Actor in Drama, Musical, or Comedy, you've got Christopher Plummer, who, you know, for nine days of shooting, um, in the role of <laughs> J. Paul Getty, <laughs> actually gets a nomination. Uh, you've got Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water, Army Hammer, Call Me By Your Name, Willem Defoe for The Florida Project, I think a you know, film which hasn't got really had that much um, exposure over here in the UK, mm-hmm. and then winning, Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards.
0: Worthy winner there? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, again. Yeah. And again, 100%, 100% and again agree.
2: echoing I wouldn't be surprised if you did a double with the Oscars yeah. again. Yeah. And he um, deserves
0: it not just for the film but for his career.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. He's yeah, yeah, and I was gonna say he's always been one a lot of actors you don't think get the respect. I think he gets the respect, but he doesn't seem to get the roles. That's no, the not, difference. Yeah, I think exactly. a lot I think yeah. all of Hollywood yeah. accepts what
1: a great actor he is, but he yeah. never seems to, you know, have a string of hits like, you know, a string of roles. And then you've got Best Supporting Actress, you've got Octavia Spencer for The Shape of Water, Laurie Metcalf for Ladybird, Hong Chow for downsizing. Mary J. Blige from Medbound, and then you've got the winner for her role as LaVonna Golden in I, Tonya, Janey. Without
2: a shadow of a doubt, this is the main competition for the Oscars. Um, she'll probably go for a supporting role on the Oscars because it is a supporting role. I think she's, she's again, wouldn't surprise me if she got the double. Downsizing, a very worthy nomination as well. Quite surprising with that film, not the film I expected it to be. Yeah. I'll talk more about that because I've got a review coming out of that soon. Yeah, yeah,
1: sure. Okay, and then you've got Best Director, Steven Spielberg for The Post, Ridley Scott for All the Money in the World, Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Martin McDonagh for Three Billboards, but the possible surprise winner for many is Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water.
0: I think that's brilliant. I'm a huge fan of yeah, the, uh, yeah, Devil, yeah. del Toro. Uh, Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth are two of my favourite mm-hmm. films of all time. Yeah, Yeah. you know. And surprisingly the first film I ever saw of his was Mimic. And I loved it. (laughs) You know, a film that he feels I think a bit embarrassed about now. Yeah. And he had a hard time making it. But um, since then I've just watched everything.
2: I think he's he just—he's he's got a certain style, and it's—it's it's, it's beautiful to see. And you can tell when you're watching it You know, it's, you know, it's—it's it's got him written mm-hmm. all over it, yeah. you know.
0: And and the speechy gift—did you see that? I didn't see the speech. Uh, at all. Well, he was talking, and of course, the music started playing, and he said, "Oh, enough of the music, now, guys. i Have waited twenty-five years? <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is a big moment. moment. Yeah, and they did. They the music, Toro, so and out
1: out yeah. loud. You know, he deserves his his time in the spotlight. Now, I, I hate it when they bring the music up to cut yeah. them off. I think it's very rude and just." Cut it out in the edit, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. His life story, I don't know if you know. After he made, um, oh, which one was it? Just before Pan's Labyrinth, I think it might be Mimic. His parents, his father was kidnapped, wasn't he? I don't know. No. Yes, because he's you know living in uh, Mexico and they were kidnapped because, of course, his success. Wow. And yeah. stuff like that. I think he was a lottery winner anyway. Unbelievable. And that's how he started funding his films, Kronos. Wow. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, and he said there's three films through his career that have saved his life. And yeah. his um, Shape of Water is one of them, he said.
1: Wow. Mm. So. Best screenplay, uh, Aaron Sorkin, uh, who is just you know the king of the, the BioPig adaptation, it seems. Um, didn't win this time, but he's one of the nominees, along with um, Liz Hanna and Josh Singer for The Post, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor for The Shape of Water. But winning uh, again... Martin McDonagh for three billboards. we to go through the billboards yeah. later. It, yeah. Do
2: you think we're going to like this film in the review? Oh, <laughs> it's it's alright. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah.
1: We'll
0: also be mentioning Aaron Sorkin later as well.
1: Best original score, Hans Zimmer for Dunkirk. Mm. Yeah, I, I've got my thoughts on that. Hans Zimmer is equal parts genius and a little bit frustrating sometimes.
0: Themes are not important anymore. And I think he's one yes, of Yes, I think he is.
1: He is, that. yeah. Now, he's he's made scores like the, the Thin Red
0: Line. Uh, Gladiator, which is... Gladiator,
1: yeah. uh, Inception. Most of his score for the, the Dark Knight trilogy. Some of it sort of degenerates into that, almost that Bruckheimer sort of... Bombastic. Bombastic sort of, yeah. sort of thing, yeah. which I which I just don't like, and I wish he would avoid that. It, it seems that he uses similar sort of cues and and... and a musical style for, for action that I wish he would just sort of avoid because when he's doing more subtle, you know, dramatic music, I think that's where he is literally as good as any composer out there. The, sort of ticking, the ticking clock he had going through Dunkirk, I like that. It was good. It was I built, did, but... But then it got annoying. Yeah, because I felt it almost became... Dunkirk, the, the score and the film itself, aided by the score and the editing, built to a crescendo quite early on towards the end, but then it built to another crescendo yeah. and another crescendo... Yeah. At the end, you've got it. Once you've done this three or four times, it completely loses its effect. And that's why I didn't find the film anywhere near as sort of tense and engrossing as I should have. In in the end, I actually thought that the score stepped on the feet of what Nolan was trying to achieve. And in so much as that, I don't think he was worthy of a nomination. The others there are John Williams for The Post, Johnny Greenwood for Phantom Thread, a film which I have not seen, but really looking forward to it. Carter Burwell for Three Billboards. We'll come to that later. And then Alexander Desplat... Uh,
0: is it Desplat? Desplat.
1: <laughs> yeah, for The Shape of Water. I'm oh, your to your knowledge. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> you
0: well, broke. I heard that, that and The Post. And um, they're both really, very really good. You know? yeah?
1: mm-hmm. Best original song, then. You've got Mariah Carey and Mark Scheinman for The Star. Remember Me uh, from Coco. Mighty River from Mudbound. Home from Ferdinand. And then This Is Me for The Greatest Showman. Which one? Uh, I know you guys... Haven't seen it. No. Uh, it's one of those films, a song, sorry, that is annoyingly catchy. I don't know if it's as good as um, certainly Raphael, Sadiq, and Mary J. Blige's song from Mudbound. But yeah, you know, it best original song isn't always a, a category you've got that much interest in, to be honest with you. No. Not like um, film scores. I certainly don't think that any of the songs um, that have been listed, they haven't listened to them are as good as, you know, we're not going to be talking about them like we are talking about films uh, with I can, songs. Not gonna like be iconic They're not going to be iconic, say, yeah. like the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. And then you've got Best Animated Feature... Coco winning, and then you had Loving Vincent, Ferdinand, The Breadwinner, and The Boss Baby all nominated. Anyone seen Coco yet? I haven't yet. No, No, it's top my list of uh, films to take my kids to see. I've seen The uh, Boss Baby. I yeah. have to
0: say, it's a lot more entertaining than you would have thought. Really?
1: I saw Boss I thought... Baby the same week I saw Dunkirk, and I got to say, if anything, I enjoyed it as much as Dunkirk. I <laughs> love the Glengarry Glenn Ross yeah, references, yes. the fact that Alec Baldwin, uh, the device of Boss Baby, and I've got to say. Yeah like the best sort of uh, kids animated films, there's a lot of humour that's going to go over the head of the kids and yeah. scared, aimed squarely at adults and for that it's all the better for it. Yeah. This, this is the thing a thing we mine. It's a surprisingly uh, entertaining It kids could have film. been awful. I mean, yeah. It should have been awful. It could, it could have been like... I Captain, thought it looked like, like a train
2: wreck. I've got to be honest, <laughs> that's why <what> I don't really... <laughs> it could have
1: been a Captain Underpants, which I was unfortunate enough to see. I've got to say The Boss Baby. Yeah. My, 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 my boys are the age that, you know, they're all for films like that at the moment. That's all they want to see. But yeah, you know, they're, they're going to grow out of it, so I'm kind of enjoying it while I've still got like an excuse to go and see these films. Just watch it while you're in school, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anything else you want to add about the Golden Globes guys looking ahead maybe towards the Oscars? I think we've you we know, we made little predictions here as to the fact that we think the likes of Alison Chaney and um, Francis McDormand are going to be good front runners there for an Oscar. Any others that stand out? It's,
2: it's it's not always a guarantee, is it? I mean, you know, it, a lot a lot of the time, it, it's, it's obviously there's consolation prize, isn't it? But I think this year may be the exception where you get, you know, double winners. It doesn't always happen to a great consistency, does it? You know, with uh, mm-hmm. but I think you may see it this year.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, and I think when we see the uh, the results of the Baftas coming up now, yeah. I think that if they win, then then they shoe in for the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on with these billboards, Mildred? My daughter Angela was murdered, and the police department is too busy eating Krispy Kreme to solve actual crime. I'm in the middle of my damn Easter dinner. Sorry, kid. And about time you got home to your mama? I told her I was gonna be out till 12.
1: All this anger. It just begets greater anger. I saw you on TV the other day. You look good. I
0: think guy
1: wants to get in my pants. Okay, so our main review this week is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. A darkly comic drama from Academy Award nominee Martin McDonagh. After months have passed without culprit in her daughter's murder case, Mildred Hayes makes a bold move, painting three signs leading into her town with a controversial message directed at William Willoughby, played by Woody Harrelson, the town's revered chief of police. When his second-in-command officer, Dixon, played by Sam Rockwell, an immature mother's boy with a penchant of violence gets involved, the battle between Mildred and Ebbing's law enforcement is only exacerbated. So, gentlemen, Three Billboards, a film which um, we've all seen uh, separately over the course of the last week
2: or so. Neil. I was lucky enough to get to an early screening. I was totally blown away, like you say, by the performances in this film. I will make a little confession. I've gone back and seen it again. Oof. And usually, if we to go back and see it again, it's because I absolutely loved the film. This time, it's because I wasn't sure if I loved the film. Okay. Um, So that, that, as we said on the last episode, that valuable second viewing. Valuable second viewing. I will say, I mean, without a doubt, it's a great film straight away. I wasn't sure if it was a brilliant film. You know, the, the amount of praise it's been garnering. And on second viewing, I did, yeah, it went up in my estimations. It went from being a good film to a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time round, like I say, I was blown away by the performance. of I can't I had little minor niggles, which I'll probably go into as we go on. But yeah, absolutely brilliant film.
1: Yeah, and obviously you saw this film um, a, a few days before I was able to see it. And as much as it, you know, I think there were things that you were aching to discuss with me. Certainly involving <laughs> your issues with little plot points. And then then I saw the film. And I actually found myself looking looking for you know issues with the plot because you know I'm, I'm the biggest stickler for what I call poor or lazy writing and. Apart from maybe a few little conveniences in the plot towards the end, I had no major issues with it. It's a film that you know I've been looking forward to seeing since um, the first word of mouth. If followers of film you know will know that we're all big fans of um, the Wrong Real podcast, and the host of Wrong Real, James Hancock, has got his own uh, YouTube review channel, uh, Geekin NYC, and he put up one of the earliest reviews of Three Billboards back in the tail end of 2017, and he was just saying that it was the film of the year. So from that point, I was intrigued really wanted to see the film following on from that then there was a, a snowball effect as, as more reviews come out and you know the the critical sort of word of mouth was extremely high it's still scoring 88 percent on metacritic so you know critically the film has done incredibly well you know i sort of went into it not so much looking to to find fault but you know i i was concerned that it wouldn't live up to those expectations but you know i'll, I'll front up now it Completely blew me away. I was hooked from pretty much the opening few scenes of dialogue. I thought the script was electric. I found myself laughing and at the same time shocked at the fact that I was laughing. It's listed on IMDb as a crime drama. But they are definitely intentional elements of the blackest, darkest, bleakest comedy in that film. Yeah. The subject matter is horrific. You've got this this embittered woman, understandably... Who has had one of the worst things happen to the, you know any parent could ever have. Not only was her daughter killed, but she was killed in incredibly brutal fashion and raped. It, you know, it, it's a heartbreaking story. But there are moments of just you are cringing. You try not to laugh, but it's all intentional humour. And I think it just walks an incredibly fine line between moving, disturbing, funny. Martin McDonough has just crafted a film that it covers so many bases, straddles genres. I don't think there's a bad performance in the film. I, I was just blown away. We did our rundown of the best films of 2017 in, in the first episode. Unfortunately, Three Billboards um, had a 2018 release in the UK, so we've only seen it in the last week or so. His actual f- um, theatrical release in the UK is today. The twelfth uh, of twelfth uh, of, of January. Yeah, it's um, going back now. If I had to rejig that list around, I'd probably put Three Billboards Update definitely be in my top three. It would probably, from an acting and writing and directorial point of view, I probably say it's better than any of the films I I picked in in my personal top three. Steve.
0: Yeah. Well, I was terrific. I thought it was terrific. I I have to admit that um, having heard how good it was, I avoided. As many reviews and uh, as possible. I didn't. Even, I haven't even seen Jim Pancock's review yet. It's something I will watch, but I want to avoid it before I get. You know, I didn't want to get my expectations too high because that tends to spoil it. I was going to say,
2: yeah, I've been a victim yeah. of too many times, yeah. Yeah,
0: but also, and I, and the reason I still haven't read any reviews is because I didn't want anybody else's opinions to influence my own before tonight, but. It was just terrific. I was really, really surprised by how funny it was. And when I saw it, it's a bit of a side issue, when I saw it, I've been complaining all week about this, the cinema I saw it in left the lights on throughout the whole performance. And I had to leave about 40 minutes into the film to complain. And they still didn't do anything about it. I am getting free tickets, which is something. But the fact that even with that distraction, I still... You know, I laughed all the way through that. That was the most surprising thing of it. Within the first five minutes, I was laughing, and knowing the basic story about you know a woman who, as as you just said, I mean, she she is grieving. She's uh, suffered the most horrendous thing a parent could uh, go through, and yet in the first five minutes, I was, I was laughing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that yeah. really caught me by surprise.
1: Sometimes I find myself laughing at, at films which are not meant as as comedies, and you know, some of the funniest films for me personally I've ever seen are films like Mean Streets. As much as I'm sure there's intentional comedy in that, um, on Martin Scorsese's part, it's the same with *Raging Bull*. There, there, there are scenes in that film which I know other people would probably find quite not so much upsetting, but not really the things that you're laughing at. But I actually, you know, I, there's certain things about um, sort of extreme behaviour like that, and 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 sort of shocking moments. It's sort of like when you're at a funeral, and it's happened to me once. Yeah, you, get you get the urge to laugh, and you yeah. don't know why. And there was there were moments in this film where I, I knew why I was laughing, but I'm thinking I, I should not be laughing at this. But then afterwards, it was like, no, that, that is, that's clearly intentional humour. Yes. A yeah. lot of the exchanges between um, Frances McDormand's character and her um, son and daughter were just, you know, it, it, well, you only get that one scene with the
2: daughter,
0: didn't you? And she the, just yeah, drops, the drops one... a C bomb on a string yeah, away. That's yeah, that's right. It, it's. Yeah. Uh, oh, dropped quite a few C bombs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and The
1: way they talk to each other, you know, there's clearly love and affection, but at the same time, there's.
0: Tension. there's tension <laughs> there's
1: a level of disrespect from her children and at the same time she isn't really trying to parent them and you know the way she talks to them is just as bad as the way they talk to her
0: but i think that's one of the reasons it works so well because it doesn't try and sugarcoat anything nothing except, at all yeah. nothing at all she, you know to be honest she is a real bitch yeah and you I can't and really. have sympathy for her yeah. well
2: this this is the issue i had when i first saw the film because i got in with a sort of preconception again avoided reviews i knew it was getting great reviews mm. My preconception of this film was she's putting these billboards up because Woody Halston's, uh police officer uh, character... Yeah. Uh, the sheriff, yeah. Uh, Willoughby, isn't it? Yeah, it's for chief, some reason chief, is, chief Willoughby. Is for yeah. some reason dragging his feet. So going into that film to begin with, I didn't know... Are uh, we, we doing spoilers for this? Well, I think it's fair to say if you haven't seen the film, perhaps skip this bit. I think we should
1: possibly hold back on the spoilers. Bear in mind... Just, of the I just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was
2: going to say, I know from reading reviews that they have put things about Woody Halson's character in there.
1: But shall we just say... I didn't know that bit. Let's go, then yeah. we're, we're, there's we're, a moment involving yeah. Woody Harrelson's character that is certainly touching and touching and comes as a bit of a surprise. Yeah. but I, I found myself
2: on the first viewing because I had that preconception when he has the chat with her and he sort of explains the situation that really we've got nothing to go on. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd love to catch your daughter's killer, yeah. and that bothered me for the first time because I was like, why, you know? But then on the second viewing, I was like, this is what grief does. This is what yeah, anger does. Like I said, she's not. Campus, and of course, she's got the backstory with her coming from an abusive relationship. She's Mm -hmm. had years of hell, she's always been beaten into the type of character she is. It was bothering me that she was not trying to help the son more. That she is, you know, and little niggles like that were just pulling me I was enjoying the film, like I say, the performances were great. It took the second viewer for me to settle down and say to myself, I know this story, this story is about grief, this story is about anger. I I think grief has got the various stages
0: of grief, and she is stuck on anger. Yeah, she hasn't gone further. She can not move and, past it, and she hasn't got anybody to help her. She's only got to a yeah, you know, and he's just you know a teenager. He's not in the position to help her. She thinks that everybody else is going to be against her, you know, the police department and everything. So she hasn't got anybody to help her through this process. So she's on her own, and it just builds up and builds mm-hmm. up. And of course, she needs to target it somewhere. Yeah, and so she targets. She will be. And
2: again, without going into too deep a thing, it's almost. A, I'm not going to say an easy target, but it's it's a target that a. He's in that position where he will be the natural target. And it also yeah. seems to be the impetus there where there's almost a little bomb between them where they're against each other, but they both understand where the other one's Obviously, coming from. Yeah. You know, so it's almost like it's, it's almost a sparring match rather yeah. than a full-on fight. He,
1: he wants nothing more than to solve this case. You know, the, the fact that they still got that physical the, the case file lying around the station. Yeah. And as we later see, there's an intention from another character to carry forward and, and to investigate that, which again is, is something quite unexpected. But yeah, obviously, you know, this grieving woman, the case, it, it, she's not seeing any sort of movement on it. Of course, the, the people she's going to naturally blame for this are going to be the police. Yeah, Much of that could be valid. But then, you know, you, you say about you didn't like some of the, the things she's coming out with, and yeah, she is being completely irrational. She's wanting, yeah. basically, the police chief to, to go around and, and break forcibly law. break the law by taking samples of blood from every man. In, in Ebbing County, something which he says I, I can't do that. You know, there's civil rights that prevent me from doing such a thing, but she thinks, well, no, I, I want it done because that's that way you will catch my daughter's killer. So yeah, she is being irrational, but like like you said, you know, grief causes people to act in irrational yeah, ways. And
2: like I say, it's not it's not something that was spoiled in the film. It was something that was just taking me out a little bit where I was I would. On first viewing, I was, I was sort of almost expecting some sort of resolution to come there from that, you know, from the, the mm. rational, I was expected to move to the next stage, if you know mm. what I mean, and she doesn't, she, she holds that anger, she holds that grief all the way through. Second viewing, like I say, the pain dropped a little bit more with me and I was, I, I found myself more absorbed in her story, you know, it wasn't mm. distracting me, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that's one, one of the reasons why her performance is so good though. Yeah. Because she is, um, she is so hard yeah. on everybody and on herself. yeah. And yet, you can't help but have sympathy for her. Oh, definitely. Because not just the situation she's in, but who she is. She is, you know, underneath the crusty exterior. She is a likable person underneath. And you think that she could have been yeah, if yeah. circumstances were different.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. And like you say, it's almost that sort of the beginning when the billboards go up. She does the local TV. You know, she gets a few sort of like closer, closer friends to her. A yeah and almost instantly that turns back around, doesn't it? Because of the situation, you know that the town doesn't support her. No, you know you can understand how that. You know she needed that little bit of a boost, and she lose. You know she doesn't get it. I think she's looking as well as trying to get the the killer. She's looking for people to sort of you know embrace what yeah, she's yeah. doing. You know. Yeah.
1: So obviously we've got you know the Academy Awards coming up. It's Oscar season. Looking across the board, both males and females performances from films we've seen in 2017. Is there a better Performance that's up for an Oscar this year than Francis McDormand. No, the mo
2: I don't. No. There's nothing I can think of that, would, that I'm even going to compare to that. Because, like you say, to play a good character is one thing. To play a, an angry character and yeah. um, to keep that level of intensity throughout, and like you say, she's not a likable character. We all relate to her. We all feel sorry for her. not a likable character yeah. anyway.
1: Yeah. So obviously, you know, the time we're doing this, the the nominations, are, I don't think they've they've been released yet. But I think she's a shoo-in, you know, she's... She is,
0: absolutely. Obviously,
1: she's going to get a nomination. She's won the Golden Globe. But yeah, I I, I don't think there's... For me, there's not a a, a better performance in a film I've seen in the last 12 months. It's an incredible performance. Uh, You know, I I love Frances McDormand. Um, The first time she really came to my attention was back in Fargo in 1996, where she obviously won um, for Marge Gunderson. You know, completely different character. You know, the wholesome local sheriff very quirky performance. I don't think this was a quirky performance in no, any way. No this no. this was, much in the way you mentioned um, Raging Bull. Yeah. Now, as much as that is based on a real-life character, this was a character that basically thrives in negativity. Obviously, it's as a result of her circumstances, as opposed to the type of person she is. When you have a, a warts-and-all portrayal of a character, be it fictitious or otherwise, the film doesn't put its punches. She's multifaceted. There's several layers to it. Like you were saying, she's a likable person at times. At the time, she's just a complete bitch. She doesn't get the best out of people when she should be doing everything she can to sort of convince people to pick up the case again. Obviously, the, that we see later on in the film, she takes some extremely rash action, which has some quite serious results. And then we see her learn from that. But at the same time, there's always this sort of... Uh, it'd be interesting to see what she was like before th- these things happened with her daughter. What, you know, what was she like as a person? And, of then? course,
0: what happened with her husband? Yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously an,
1: an abusive husband. <laughs> For me, I think one of the best scenes in the film. There's a scene where, um, and this isn't really spoiling things, but she goes on a date with Peter Dinklage's character, um, yeah. who obviously plays Tyrion in Game of Thrones. Peter Dinklage, being a little person who lives in you know this small American town, and unfortunately, you know, figurative, figuratively and literally speaking, he is looked down upon by the other you know residents of the town. Um, you know, they they make some quite nasty comments about him, and, and he is very much an underdog. But she forms a bit of a bond with him. And he actually asks her out on a date. They go out on a date. That sort of doesn't go well. Uh, She bumps into her ex-husband, who makes something of a shocking revelation about something that he has done to her. And at that point in the film, I was thinking, well, given what we've seen of her character so far, I'm pretty sure now she's going to get up, walk back over to his table, smash a wine bottle over his head. But what does she do instead? He's sat there with his 19-year-old girlfriend, which is obviously rubbing her nose in it. Instead of going over and and resorting to violence, as we've seen her character do by that point, having learned from her mistakes of rash action previously, where she goes and does something which results in someone getting really badly hurt, she's actually really nice to her ex-husband and his new girlfriend, and actually says to him, You treat her right. If if you
2: notice, it's the only time she shows any fear for anyone. Because and obviously, yeah. He, and if you look into the you yeah,
1: know, he beat her yeah. when, when they were together, and she's thinking, "This girl, you know, she's not the you know sharpest knife in the block. She's a nice person. She doesn't and deserve what she I doesn't had. deserve what ha- what I had." And I yeah. think like that moment for me, I just thought, "You've won me over now." And I thought it was just a remarkable performance.
2: Yeah, and I think it's an unfortunate side effect with domestic abuse. Like you say, the only time she shows any fear, the only time she shows any trepidation is when the ex is around.
1: Yeah. And it, that's, that's right. I think that's... Because he's still got that hold over her because he's abused her and controlled her for so many years that yeah, and I think he's that's, the only one that can ever get the upper hand against her. And that's as close... What she does is actually more, for me, is the closest thing she can ever get to
2: being strong around him. What she does, she handles her with class. She handles it with decorum. Yeah, and um, that bit really touched me. I've got to be honest. Yeah, there
1: were there were so many moments in the film. There's, there's that moment with Woody Harrelson. There's there's, there's a scene that it reminded me of the Brooks Hatlen sort of mini film within a film from Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. where Brooks Hatlen, the, the the you know the old guy in the prison who has been there longer than any of them, actually gets parole, and then for the next five minutes, you just see this little film about Brooks's life on the outside, which is sort of a little mini film in and of itself, which is one of the most moving things I've ever seen in a film. And then there's a similar scene involving Woody Harrelson and his wife and his two children in the middle of this film. Something that completely took me by surprise. It's just incredibly moving. I didn't see it coming. And it's just one of the most memorable scenes in a film that I've seen in a long time.
2: Yeah. And i got to be honest, there's so much being said about um, the performances. Is it Abby Cornish? Abby, Abby she really, yeah. She really nailed it.
1: Nailed it. And I as soon as she came on, I thought, right, is she going to do another you know, am I going to see your Australian accent coming through? She actually just played an Australian. Great, yeah, and there was no yeah. play. She played did, yeah. yeah, played it's to great. her strengths. She doesn't have to play an American. Yeah, Chief Willoughby met yeah. and fall in love with and married this Australian girl. Great, yeah, it allowed them with such dignity. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. did. Really, even when. Well, you see the
2: two sides to it as well because you know she handles certain situations with dignity, and there's other situations where the one scene in particular where she's talk, they're talking about after they've had sex. And I was like, my God, <laughs> yeah, 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 if th- I had a woman spoke to me like that, I'd marry her too. Yeah.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, that, that was a little bit of a sort of setup for what follows the fact that you see this intimate moment between the two of them and then it completely disarms you for the rug pull that is coming up. So anyway, Frances, Frances McDormand, obviously she's won a Golden Globe. The other winner there, one of the four winners um, for the film, Sam Rockwell as Jason Dixon.
0: He, he's such a nasty piece of work. Yeah, It's something we were discussing um, in the week. When you, when you mentioned the race. Yeah. The, yeah. And, and it, it's something that hadn't occurred to me that much. Race is an issue in there, but it's not that much. But I, I was thinking about it later, and it reveals the truth about race, I think, is that race, racism is a tool. And this is a really angry man. And yeah. I think a lot of that comes from his mother. Yes, that's right. Right? And he's still living with her. And mm. she's still feeding him all yeah. this, this negative. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I think
1: inherently, yeah. no no one is, is, is inherently... No, you're not born a racist, a no, sexist, no. or a homophobic. Yeah. And I think a lot of that behavior is nurture. Yeah. It's, environment, it's, it's yeah. the environment you grow up in. And clearly, Dixon has grown up in an environment where his, his mother is a despicable individual who probably learned those same things from her parents. Yeah. Yeah. And it's rubbed off on him, and he is the main villain of the piece. The thing he does partway through the film, where he just completely loses it and like viciously assaults a young lad, at that point you just think, right, okay, so he's a cop that abuses his power, just completely abuses it in broad daylight, doesn't give a damn what anyone thinks. He's a racist. He's not a good police officer, really, mm-hmm. you know, to say the least. I think <laughs> he's, I, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's sort of weird. sort of the worst kind of person, really. He's, it's almost that redneck sort of deputy sort of character, yeah. isn't it? You know, I wouldn't say he. Well, he is a crooked cop, really. Yeah. As much as I'm not saying he's on the take, he's you know the things. Yeah, bend the rules. Of, he's yeah. he's he's not Frank Serpico. Put it that way, without giving things away as the film goes on. We see layers to his character, which again completely just pulled the rug away from me. As much as you wouldn't exactly say you like him, you know, certainly. You get to know him. You get to know him. Yeah. So maybe you get to yeah. know the reason possibly why he is like he is. And by the end of the film, as much as maybe you're not forgiven of everything he's done, you're seeing that, you know, in other circumstances, you know, with a different upbringing, he wouldn't have been a bad guy.
0: I think this is one of the reasons why. This film deserved the best screenplay. Yeah, and deserves to win the Oscar for best Great. screenplay. Yeah, because all these people—they're not nice people, oh. but you really get to know them, yeah. and they're real people. And real they're real characters. Real people. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. probably
2: got the closest to a, a movie sort of story arc in this whole film, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know, he's the one who's moving towards some form of redemption, if you like, or you know, developing a different sort of outlook on life. But again, it's not rammed down your throat. No. No. And you know, as we all know, in real life, you don't have those miracle moments where yeah. you go from bad to good. It takes a long time for yeah. that to happen. And there's. And, yeah.
0: And his character starts off the closest to uh, of all the characters. He could have been a cartoon villain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he's not. And I think uh, he starts off like that. You really hate his guts. Yeah. And you think that I mean, he's so extreme. And yet all of a sudden, you start peeling layers away from him and you just see who
2: he really is and again it's that little stutter every time he mentions mama Yeah, you know which I know in a lot of films they almost overplay that to me when a character's stuttering to sort of show fear sometimes it can seem quite contrived quite quite tactically But with this, it was it was very slight when he said "mama, mama." You know, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't well, overplay there's it. a scene
0: in the film where he goes behind her, she's sleeping, and he touches her hair, and I'm thinking, is he going to kill her now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or was you there know, something else to that? It why was it something else? Yeah. Who why you, you stuttering? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's you know the, the the performances across the board are incredible, and there's little film things that the film introduces that you think are going to go down the hackney cliched route where, for certain reasons, Chief Willoughby is no longer able to carry out his duty. So he is replaced by another another police officer who comes in and, and takes over the police station, played by Clark Peters, who people will know from The Wire, who played uh, Lester Freeman. Now Clark Peters, being a black police officer of rank, coming into this police station, we're pretty much, you know, there, there's, a, so there's a definite undercurrent of racism, certainly coming from the likes of Dixon. And then you're expecting him to come in and just throw people around, throw tables around, and just stamp his authority, and say, you know, none of you people are gonna get to me, I'm in charge, or whatever. But even the way he handled the situation was extremely... He does but he, do, he, he does, but, he he do, he does but not in the way I was expecting. Yeah. And he, does, he doesn't need to stamp his feet for forever to know he's in charge. That's right. It very quickly shows. He, he showed that by, you know, the fact that he outranks them, whether he's black or not, they will give him respect. And then, because maybe he didn't react in the way they expected him to, then that shows them, you know, how bigoted and, you know, ridiculous their views are, certainly Dixon's.
0: Yeah.
1: And he's had one great scene where he's talking to
2: Mildred as well and he's not all of us are bad, you know. And That's right. It's like yeah. he almost comes in and he's accepting, yeah. I know there's he's, problems yeah. here, you know? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and he's not again, he's not playing that I'm here to save you. No, I no. you know, mean, right. you know, I'm not the light in shining armor. Yeah, I'm here to do my job. Yeah,
0: yeah. and he's basically telling yeah. exactly the same as Chief Will That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: but again, I think it's yeah, the sort of style of delivery, the way he does it,
1: I was really impressed with that. Yeah, yeah. I loved it when, when Clark Peters uh, turned up a big fan of the wire. And he's yeah. just he's and his introduction deep. was so subtle as well. Wasn't oh, the, he? it's literally, you go from thinking, is he a detective? Stood, down, stood outside yeah. the station smoking a cigarette and it, it's during the you know. He's like, just a bike He's just a passerby. Well, he's just the passerby. He yeah. witnesses a police officer carrying out a, a ridiculously over the top sort of act of broad daylight violence, mm. and he, he's just there watching as a bystander. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't no, say doesn't say words. a word. <laughs> Dixon goes back in the station, and then you're expecting Abercrombie, this 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 black police chief who's turned up. You're expecting him to completely wipe the floor with Dixon. Yeah. but he doesn't. Yeah. it's sort of like well, yeah. This is the job I signed up for. I'll deal with him later. But you know, he knew he had a problem. Yeah, like granted, he was, yeah, he went they, over he to, him. to <laughs> he, he demanded he, he give his badge out over, but this wasn't handled in the way and that, that was the, 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 the typical way that you know, any other film that this got the cliche book open in
2: front of them would do. And like we were talking about, comedy's always hard, I think, with certain types of films, always hard to fit comedy in that scene where he asked for his badge, I'm not going to give too much away, it goes from being a dramatic scene to being one of the funniest things yeah. I think I'll see this year.
1: And it, it, yeah, it's its not broad, obvious humour. No. It, it's just beautifully, subtly played. Little moment um, later on where we, we talk about the scene where Francis McDormand goes on a dinner date with Peter Dinklage's character and that doesn't go well. And prior to that, he has gone to help her in a time of need where she's had to go and repost these billboards.
2: <laughs>
1: and as he's leaving the restaurant, after she is pretty much... Giving him a little bit of a character assassination, he turns he turns to her and says, "I didn't have to come and hold your ladder for you."
0: <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it, 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 yeah it, it doesn't.
1: It's not going to play you know, unless you've seen the film. But I, I haven't put in any kind of contact context. But when you see the film, you'll you'll just
0: again, you know, again for
2: me it, that perfectly work, because you know
0: I you mean he, him, he does
2: a yeah. lot he does a bigger favors for than hold the ladder. You know, yeah, yeah but yeah. that's the thing he pulls out as the main source. Of, yeah. You know, that was my Sunday off. You know, I can't even
1: have you you. Even the minor players, like I said, Clark Peters, who plays um, Abercrombie, John Hawkes, who plays Mildred's um, abusive ex husband, he's fantastic. Peter Dinklage is, is outstanding. I'd like to see more of Peter Dinklage. Woody Harrison as well. We yeah. Woody we Harrison have, we get, yeah. well, Woody Harrelson doesn't get the credit he deserves. As much as Matthew McCartney got all the, the accolade for True Detective Season 1, which for me is still one of the. The greatest seasons of TV we'll ever see. I thought Harrison was as good. Oh yeah, he was definitely just as good. Yeah. And I think in this film, Woody Harrelson wasn't an actor. I think that hit his stride until you know the last couple of years. I
0: well, he's admitted to you because he was uh, he was always on the marijuana and stuff yeah. like that for years and years and years. Now he's off it. He, he feels more. He's, he's incredible. I, th- you know, I uh, think it was almost the case
2: with House, and when he he came out of Cheers, and went straight to natural Born killers type thing. Yeah, yeah. It was almost like he was trying to shock and you know yeah, prove yeah. to people that he wasn't just a sitcom actor. Mm. Yeah, he yeah. was just and trying to he was, a, his... and he was a replacement sitcom actor as well, so he wasn't even. No, that's right. You know, he'd come in as a replacement for, a, for an established character, a beloved character. Yeah. yeah. And after Cheers, I think he was trying to pave pave his way by perhaps trying to be a little bit too rock and roll sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You see him now; he's so understated in the way he does. Mm. I've got to be honest; he's very similar in a lot of he plays you yeah. know it's almost like oh it's Woody Harrelson yeah. but he does it so well hmm. he does it so well and I, it wouldn't surprise me to see both him and Rockwell
1: competing for Best yeah. Supporting Actor in this. Definitely. In the Oscars and I think um, as much as Rockwell's performance is, is it's a the lot showy it's the most showy yeah. it's the one that's a lot more laid, there's more to it if it wasn't for Rockwell being in the film I definitely think Harrison would be a, a good shoe in there for Best Supporting Actor yeah what do we think about it was a, it's one hour 55 minutes the, the film just flew by. I it don't does. think there was a dead scene in it. I don't think there was a scene in the film that either didn't develop the characters. The editing was pretty much flawless. I the, just it, the um, directing
0: is spot on. And yeah. Apart from one scene, I don't think it's showy at all. And the only scene is the scene when Dixon goes upstairs, and uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. because all that is one take. I don't even know. If you yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah leaves was... the police station and goes upstairs. He does, yeah beats somebody, goes back downstairs, carries on beating them, yeah. and it's all one scene, yeah, yeah. one take. You know, what I mean, there's no editing at all. In no, there. Is it? But that's the only showy thing I can think of. But and, it,
2: and, it's yeah. it's almost sort of you know you say it is showy, but for me that almost sort of encapsulated the, the moment. The moment for him, yeah. you know, he was in that tunnel vision one, and it was yeah. almost like you were seeing the tunnel yeah. with him, you know. So yeah, that worked for me,
1: guys. What do you think of, of Martin McDonagh? I think the, the films he's pretty much best known for before this are In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. I've only seen both films once,
2: and I've enjoyed both films. They're both films, uh, as we were discussing on the last podcast, sometimes you know just for whatever reason you don't return to a film for a long yeah. time. Both of those films instantly now. If we were sat here having a couple of drinks and you said you are going to put either of those films on, I'd be yep, yeah, check it on straight away.
1: Yeah,
0: I agree. Well, they're very funny films as well, and I think he's taking that mm. to something very serious, and he's married up really, really well. Yeah, yeah, and, and balanced it yeah. tremendously well. Yeah,
1: he's not exactly a steady director, and. When I was watching this film, it was making me think of another director who's—I'm just waiting for his next film—and that's Dan Gilroy, director of Nightcrawler.
2: Yeah.
1: Other than Nightcrawler, I—I'm I'm trying to think—he's—he's um, he's actually done the, the Roman J. Israel uh, film. Uh, with Denzel oh, Washington, awesome. which we've which we've yet to see, um, I don't think it's been released in the UK yet. He's got writing credits on the likes of Kong Skull Island, but as far as directorial, Nightcrawler was a film that just came from nowhere, and for me, is just one of the best films of the last ten years. I think it's absolutely remarkable. But that was 2014.
0: A very dark film with a lot of.
1: Yeah, dark dark absolutely. Yes,
2: it, it, yeah, yeah, almost guilty laughs. At the but you know, yes,
1: Dan yeah. Gilroy and Martin McDonough now are moving very high up on the list mm-hmm. of directors whose next film I just can't wait for. The other one being Damien Chazelle after Whiplash and La La Land. La, I can't wait to see what he's got next. And I'd um, be is, surprised if he's doing now.
0: Uh, is it something? Don't know. No, I don't know. No. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I'd like to see that. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but I'm sure he's doing something
1: like that. Right, okay, everyone. <laughs> Maybe I'll edit this out for time, but we're going to have to look up now. Fact Dave, check. Damien Chazelle, let's fact check. What's he got um, as director? Upcoming projects. Oh, First Man. First Man. It's going to be, obviously, that's going to be a Neil Armstrong Maybe biopic. Armstrong. Wait, there you go, everyone. We probably should have known this, but we didn't. But Steve no. did, yeah. So <laughs> Damien Chazelle is going to be directing a Neil Armstrong biopic. Absolutely can't wait. Steve, I know you're a big. Uh, Fan of the space race and the like.
0: I am, yes. Yeah. yes, Excellent. In yeah. fact, I saw Hidden Figures again yeah. recently. We were talking about Hidden Figures last week. And
1: it was it's just so entertaining. Incredible film. Amazing and like a companion piece to the right stuff.
0: Yes.
2: Absolutely yeah. brilliant. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit, it's, it's on my list. I haven't got around to it yet. Yeah.
0: Hidden figures, one of those one of the films where, and I think we'll come on to this in a while, it's one of those films that, for me, if I see a, a sad film, it's almost like a barrier goes up. It doesn't really affect me, yeah. but a happy film yeah. and blubbering. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> and, and it it yeah. was a perfect film. Yeah, was.
1: yeah brilliant film. Um, I, I didn't see it when it came out in the cinema, I only watched it recently with my wife, but we were both completely transfixed. And yeah, it, the first thing I wanted to do after that was stick the right stuff on, mm. because there were little parallels to the events of that film. One of my favourite films, uh, just an amazing film about the, the the space race. And obviously this showed a completely different side of it, but it was a story that really needed to be told. And if anything, that film, if it came out this year, would be even more relevant than ever with all the representation in A of both women and black women. Absolutely amazing film. So, guys, going back to Three Billboards, anything else um, that we haven't talked about? I don't I think, think we've... We haven't picked anything in the way of faults of the film. Neil... You had some issues with the film the first time you saw it. Are those yeah, I issues resolved on I, the second showing? I would still say that Peter Dinklage is underused.
0: He's such a charismatic actor. He is. I want to see. his performance is great. but, but we, we, always, always always always, we always want to see. I could watch more Peter Dinklage. I was going to
2: say I could see. I could, well, I'm be careful how you say that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, what I, mean. I, 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 I could honestly watch him in anything. And I, you know, the example there with the uh, the X Men film when they brought him in and that character wasn't a uh, little person. Boulevard Trask. That's right. Yeah. And you know, I, I think there's so many roles that this guy could play without. the even referencing his height, he's tremendous. That was act, a great like,
1: bit of casting because anyone who knows the X Men uh, will know that the character of Trask was never in the, in the comics represented as being a little person, or and never, but ref- never referred to as a little person in the film either. There's no, no, there's there's, n- n- there's literally no reference to the fact that yeah, he is a
2: little person. But I, I could, I could, well, glitch could be Bond for me, text, right. and I. That's right. That's how much I like Digglech. To be honest, in so. that role,
1: he was literally cast not because of anything to do with his physicality, purely because of the fact that he is an outstanding actor and. Anyone that watches Game of Thrones will know that he is he's just incredible.
2: Yeah, I think and I say that's probably a personal fact because I'm such a big fan of his work, I do feel he was underused. It didn't impact on the story. Second time round, I absolutely adore this film. I, I liked the i really I thought it was a great film. When I first saw it, yeah it went up it went up and never never for me. So that was that's a true indicator of how good this film is. So
1: guys, scores on the doors for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Steve, I'll start with you.
0: Um I'll give it an eight. Eight of ten. ten. It, my experience was marred by the fact that the lights were on all the way through. Yeah, I know. I go on about that. Are you able? T- are you
1: able possibly to imagine how you would have enjoyed the film if it wasn't for that?
0: Well, I found it distracting, but and yet at the same time, at the end of the film, so I loved
1: it. If you're still scoring a film at eight when you've because
2: I know, yeah, just. Dist- I can't know what film it was. Really well, well, the, 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 it was
1: the three of us. We actually went to see Terminator Two three D. That's right. Yeah, the three D presentation of the film was great, but unfortunately, for whatever reason. Probably to overcompensate for the darkness of the glasses. Our local cinema, or one of our local cinemas, turned the brightness of the film up to such a degree that we were all distracted by it. Yeah, And we even said afterwards, there was something wrong with that projection. It, it was just off. And it certainly sparked the, the film for me somewhat. Fortunately, it was a film I completely love anyway. So it wasn't like I hadn't seen the film before. But again, it's one of these cases where just don't mess with someone's enjoyment of a film in the cinema. But Especially it was- when it's the cinema themselves. They should be getting this right.
0: That's yeah, why they're there. Yeah, yeah, it's their job. Yeah. We yeah.
1: pay a lot of money, you know, sometimes a, an exorbitant amount of money to go and see these films. Other times, we're lucky enough in, in, in our position that whether you go into a preview screening or not, you expect a certain minimum standard. And, you know, the cinema keeping the lights on. I,
2: yeah, I was going to say, completely a tec- inexcusable. A technical fault, you can almost, it's annoying, but you can almost give them a pass. We're saying as simple as.
1: Can you please go and flick that switch? I'd have been they good, at, have been good yeah. at all the yeah. so. at that point, I would have thought, right, the, the, I, I've missed a part of the film now. I'm, when, when, well, you, if you, when, it was
0: a technical issue. The, as we coming out, they should have been saying, "We do apologise. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a ticket for the next mm-hmm. time." You know, yeah. and I would have gone, "Oh, that's fine." Yeah. But the fact that we had, I, I and a few others were complaining about it. Mm-hmm. I had to go out after 40 minutes because I was getting really getting on my nerves. I should have worn dark trousers mm-hmm. because every time I moved he was catching my eye. <laughs> the bald man in front of me was right below with the spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But again, but, if you to, still, to have those yeah. distractions and score an eight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Neil? Uh it would have started off as uh possibly a seven, maybe screening to an eight. I'm gonna go nine. I'm gonna go nine out of ten for this one
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go uh, an easy nine and that. Um, I very rarely do I ever score a film a 10 on first viewing, I'm trying to think of when, I've, when I last did that yeah, there is one that I think I just oh, uh, Her oh, right. the one Spike point, Jones film 2013 13. The pants, eh? no, no, not Captain Underpants <laughs> no, Her, yeah, that, on, on first viewing I think I pretty much scored that a 10, but Three Billboards it's a very high 9 for me
0: yeah, it gets the Film 89 th- thumbs the, up definitely the got. Film 89 yeah.
1: thumbs up guys go see it, it's out now on general release today, that's uh, Friday the 12th of January, obviously by the time this podcast uh, goes live it'll be a few days later. Just an absolutely amazing film, completely worthy of the accolades that's being thrown in it and we just wish it all the best for Oscar time.
2: I think it's one of those films, it's, it's going to be It's going to be remembered in the same way as No Country for Old Men, where people will still be doing retrospectives on this film five and mm-hmm. ten years later.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so last week on our first episode... Myself, Neil and Rich gave you our rundown of our three all-time favourite comedies. This week, out of the magical cereal box of choice, we have picked top three sports films. So, starting with Steve, what is your number three favourite sports
0: film? Okay, my number three is a film which is not a classic. It's not a film that many people have seen, especially over this side of the pond. I think it's... Gross, I think it made about 30 million in America and about half a million around the rest of the world. Wow. Mm. And it's a film that if most people saw over you, they wouldn't have a clue what's going on, but I loved it. And that's Draft Day, directed Drafty. by Ivan Reichman, right. starring Kevin oh, Costner.
1: of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know. If you don't know what the draft is, it's a way of, for NFL teams to choose the best um, college players every year it's a huge extravagance and mm-hmm. um, basically the worst team of the year gets the first choice of players got you. and I love the NFL it's um, you know that is my Sunday nights from September to the end of January into the beginning yeah. of February Any, anyone who
1: follows Steve on Facebook will see that he, he's always yeah he's got his San Francisco 49ers shirt on now as you speak big Dolphins fan <laughs> yeah I, I'm yeah, damarino all the way back in the 80s although well, that's I, was always, I, I was always torn between the 49ers and the Miami Dolphins. Well, that's, there that's, was. That's the fridge like, as well, I used to like. Was
2: it the, uh, yeah, William the Perry? Bays. William, yeah. William yeah.
0: Perry, yeah. Yeah. Chicago yeah. yeah. But no, it's a film which, you know, like I say, is not a classic, mm. but it's so likable. The characters are so uh, 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 likable, is the word. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, they're so likable. The situation, it, it, like I say, most people over here, would see what's happening in the film, probably wouldn't understand the significance of it. Yeah. But. And it builds to a bit of a crescendo at the end, which I think works perfectly. It's got great cast. You know, um, Dennis Leary is yeah. the coach. Who's a Jennifer Garner is um, the girlfriend. Ellen Boonstein is the his mother. Um, Black Panther himself, Chadwick Boseman. Yes, of course. He yes, is. he's uh, one of the college players. Also, who may, Electra, may not be Jennifer Garner. Sorry? Yeah,
1: <laughs> Superman's dad. Superman castor. Castor. <laughs>
2: you beat me to the punch on that one. <laughs> So yeah. who's who?
0: I'm Franklin Gail Frank Angela Skeletor. Yes. Skeletor. Yeah, do
2: you know last time when we said we were going to be comic book nerds and then we talked about Marvel for about yeah. three years? Well, it, it's Let's
1: an not an do an album, that this it's
0: time. No, it's a it's a real fun film, a real likeable film. and I've seen it, I think, about five or six times now. And if it's on, I could just carry on watching it easily
2: mm-hmm. it's one that I've been tempted to watch a few times on like sort of rainy Sunday afternoons yeah. not that I get many rainy Sunday afternoons free but yeah. it's one I've almost gone to a few times but listening to that I think it's uh, what I'm going to take up
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and it's got a load of um, NFL players and um, you know well it's got Roger Goodell who is the commissioner of um, the NFL easing it so obviously he was sanctioned so yeah. it's not going to do anything against the NFL but I think it's just a really nice film Okay.
1: My number three, I had some issues with ordering this and the film I'm picking, it's a film about sport, but it's not a film about sport first and foremost. It's actually more of a character piece, a study of the man himself. Um, that the sport is just the sort of framework around which that's built. I'm putting it as number three. Because I don't think the sport itself features as prominently as other films. But without a doubt, this is the best film in, my, in the three that I've chosen. And it is one of the greatest films of all time. 1980, Martin Scorsese, Raging Ball you get you'll get no argument from no. me with that um so as I, was thinking I, of I, I don't, I don't really think the it, was, yeah, it, draw, it yeah. was the
2: first one to pop the way out of it's
1: the biopic of um, jake Lamarthe, who sadly passed away last year what was he 95 96. 96 he was the oldest living former world yeah jake lemardo and, Lamarthe, and just, literally
2: in some about two i think about two three months before his death still doing public appearances Yeah. and there's great footage i've, I've got loads of uh, i'm, I'm, I'm avid box fan he was still actually shadow boxing about a week
1: before I saw a video of him doing it. Speaking of boxing, I gave a rundown of <coughs> a big shout-out to all the people from Wrong Real last week. One of the people I forgot to mention is the editor of Jab Hook Boxing, Jacob Rivera, one of the most valuable members of the Wrong Real crew, massive boxing fan, big shout-out to Jacob. I know he's going to be listening to this episode. Hopefully one day we'll get him on Film 89 and we'll do an episode all about boxing films. But as much as Raging Bull... It's one of my all-time favourite films. When I first saw it back in the... Uh, it was back in the 90s. It was actually quite late seeing Raging Bull because I was, I was going through my Martin Scorsese phase and it's one of the later films I, 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 I picked of his to watch. The more I watched it, the more I fell in love with the film. There the are moments of the film which are blackly comic, which I, I, I just found absolutely hilarious, which I know very few other people would. But... If I was asked what I think the greatest acting performance I've ever seen is, I would instantly gravitate towards Rob De Niro as as Jake LaMotta. Not only did he go through that incredible weight loss and gain thing where he went off to Italy for a few months, um, just ate piles of pasta to play the older, fatter, out of shape, Jake LaMotta... You know, he got into incredible shape. He, he actually—is it right, here, He actually won a few amateur boxing matches. He trained.
2: um I try to think which uh, Fifth Street Gym uh, with mm. Dundee, and he trained with Johnny Boss as well. Yeah. I th- and you look in—I think it was about eighteen months, two years training, three or four yeah. amateur boxing matches. A lot of the time with boxing films, we always get the actor as trained with a famous act, uh famous coach such as Angelo Dundee or Freddie Roach, and they, they always sort of track up. Trump about that line saying, oh, he could—he he was good enough to box for real. This guy did it for real. You know? Yeah,
1: he, he, he entered um, and three boxing matches. I think matches, it, was Golden, it was a Golden Clubs tournament he went into as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of, I think of the three Brooklyn boxing matches he entered, he won two of them. Well, you know. So, you know, it, Rob De Niro, the consummate method actor, as much as he slipped into a sort of shadow of his former self in recent years, uh, he is probably my all-time favourite actor. And this is my favourite of all his roles. It's more of a character piece than, than, than any film I can think of. Uh, you, you just see warts and all, like we were saying earlier on, this is the most... It's not a pretty portrayal of a character. He wasn't a nice guy. He was an abusive husband. He was a complete shit to his, his brother, Joey, played by the amazing Joe Pesci. He just wasn't a nice guy. He even, you know, he as much as he had mob ties and he was throwing fights, he was just, just not a nice guy. And he didn't even really get to the point in the film where he, he earned any redemption. I think that came later on in his life, you know, after the events of that film. But it's just a remarkable performance. It's an impeccably directed film. Uh, I love the black and white photography. The boxing scenes don't take up as much as much of the runtime as other films of a boxing. Certainly not the likes of Rocky. But I had to put a boxing film in there. And as much as I love Rocky, Rocky 2, 3, 4, Rocky Balboa, Creed, I... Had to pick Raging Ball because it is the best film about boxing. Even though I don't think boxing, the boxing. is the main theme. With, with, without, I say I could have done my top
2: three on boxing films. I, you know, former boxer myself, and to varying degrees of success, as you I've saw. Seen more, here,
0: as I've you seen saw him. my last
1: fight, hey. but uh, <laughs> he was good. He was good, guys. Believe me, I've seen Neil. This guy could throw a punch. I've been on the end of a punch bag, holding him <laughs> the other side, and I've, I've seen him nearly dislodge it from the roof to which it was attached. It's not in my list, and the reason it's not in my list.
2: As I say, I could have quite easily just done three boxing clubs. I was that confident without talking to either of you two, yeah. it was going to be at least one of your yeah. lists.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I nearly didn't put it in just because of the fact that for me it doesn't centre on the sport as much as other films I've picked, but I have no doubt. i put it number three as far as sports films go. When you're judging it purely on being a film, Raging Bull is just going to trump the other two on my list. But uh, Neil? It's a real passion project for him as well, isn't it? I mean, you know, with De Niro.
2: I mean, um, yeah.
0: And he saved Modis because he's in life, he? because he was I was such a low end. He, ed- yeah, he was, yeah. He was going and through yeah, his drugs stage one, like right? yeah. He and was, it, and yeah.
2: I was watching an interview uh, with Scorsese and he said for about 12, 18 months, De Niro was constantly coming out to him with the autobiography saying, you've got to get clean That's
1: right, this yeah." this and you was, no was that, I That's that I what got him out of his cocaine and yeah. deep sort of, um, yeah, stupor and that that the he was
0: Every single one is filmed completely differently. Yeah. And I've got to say,
1: um, Thelma Shoonmaker the lifelong editing partner of, uh, of Martin Scorsese. Didn't she marry? She was married to um, Michael, Michael Powell. Powell. Yeah, Michael Powell, Powell and Pressburg, one of the all time greatest British directors. The most impactably edited film, or one of the most impactably edited films I've ever seen. It's just absolutely incredible. I. And a it's soundtrack. A m- I know. Oh my word! The score, the score, the, the score to that film. Like, oh, Sorry, I should scene, say. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: In slow motion, just even.
1: In- well, if you if you look on my um, Facebook page, um, as much as I neglect it, I think I've actually you my, my banner is is raging bull. So yeah, that's my number three, Neil. In much the same,
2: we were raging bull, and again with drafty. We always associate films as being centered around a sport and event, and I think we've with all our choices now we've picked a film where sport included. Perhaps it's a little bit more character driven. I wish mine was as classy as yours. Uh, I'm tempted <laughs> to, you to. It's a film that came out in 1991, and I got to be honest, I don't think I think it was at least the 2000s before I saw it. I missed this film because it came out two weeks after Terminator 2, and that's Point Break. Oh, Oh, (laughs) right. (laughs) Sports. (laughs) 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 It's extreme sports. It is extreme sports
1: right, <laughs> <laughs> right bear Wow. With, bear wow. with me okay yeah <laughs> go on please <laughs> justify with, why Point Brig is primarily a sports film it's about with, surfing yeah okay uh,
2: It's about. is sport. it as
1: much as film about surfing as Big Wednesday <laughs> right I'm coming to that <laughs> right, every, don't tell me Big Wednesday is your number one uh, <laughs> no Neil, no
2: I know. You're an avid surfer. Right, this is what I'm coming down to. (laughs) I would love to be able to surf. I'm not built for surfing. And (laughs) I've got to be honest, Yeah, being a former heavyweight boxer, there's no way I'm going to ever be a surfer. (laughs) I've been prepared for you guys to react to this in this way. (laughs) What I I will say is, um, like I say, this was a film that in my teens, it was almost everyone's go-to film. For whatever reason, I never saw it. Like I say, it came out two weeks after T2, and it was also the same year that Robin Hood was released. So, I th- uh, Prince of Thieves, So, I think it sort of got pushed into the background there. I
0: actually saw it in the cinema when it yeah. was
2: first out. <laughs> right, okay. I've got one alloy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've got I, I, no I, issue with Point I, Break. It's it is what it is. Right. You know.
2: Nothing bigger. I was going to say, awesome this yeah. is yeah, no, I I the only female director to ever win an Oscar. It would be easy to write this film off and say it's a trashy sort of popcorn flick with just a string sports. What I'm going to say to you is if you wanted to watch a trashy exploitation of extreme sports, go and watch the remake and I've see how terrible that is yeah, in comparison. i the
1: remake. It's a terrible
2: yeah. film. Yeah. Like you say, Catherine yeah. Bigelow, you've got... Uh, there's definitely James Cameron influence there. The way the city is portrayed... Is a character in itself. Is yeah. a character in itself. Yeah. You've almost got throwbacks to T2 as well, that LA suburbia. Yeah, I agree. No? Yeah, I agree. My, my laughter was down to the fact that yeah, I know it's sports
1: the, yeah it, and
2: I did I did, be, I did actually Google sporting movies to see if anyone else is <laughs> and it's surprising well, I it, mean lists included yeah,
1: if we're going to be saying that Point Break is a sports film then by equal measure The Last Boy Scout is a film about American football well you could have you put Last Boy Scout there in you go, yeah, right. I well actually, yeah, I could have put Last Boy right.
2: Scout in. the other side but what I was going to say as well if if you go through, if, going back to the T2 thing by the way John Connors Foster is an FBI agent in this, so there is definitely a T2 connection yeah, yeah. you've got Gary Busey who's famous for Big Wednesday yes that's right yeah, coming, back into, yeah. coming back into it Yeah, we picked up on that yeah, we
1: picked
0: up Keanu
2: Reeves that. gets knocked all the time and yeah. let's be honest quite justly a lot of the time for his mm-hmm. acting abilities if there was ever a guy who was going to play a gnarly surfer dude it's Keanu Reeves, it's Keanu Reeves. It's Keanu Reeves. Yeah. do you know the original choice for Keanu Reeves uh, Keanu Reeves' no. patch on Utah Willem DeFoe. Oh, no. Catherine Bigelow fought to get kind of reason to Because what you are going to think is at the time... Clean cut? No. Willem Dafoe and then Johnny Depp. I can see Johnny Depp doing it at that stage of his career.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But not Willem Dafoe. Not Willem Dafoe. I don't think we can remember
2: it. So basically, we've got Catherine Bigelow to thank. Because you're thinking, this was was Bill and Ted at the time. Hmm. We would have never seen him in Speed. We'd have never seen him in The Matrix. We'd have never seen a John Wick film. No. Yeah, without this film,
0: we would never have seen him in the Davies, So still, <laughs> well, <yeah>. or Dracula, <laughs> yeah, Bram Stoker's
2: Dracula. I will give you that. There are plot holes in this film. Patrick Swayze, he, he has obviously has a contractual obligation to do a roundhouse, a roundhouse kick in every film. Yeah, standard. The sort of spiritual side of surfing is brought forward, and it's done in such a cliché way. It's never, it's never, it's almost laughing at itself when it's doing it. Yeah. There's a few times when Bodhi comes out with these beautiful sort of statements. Silly, yeah. And then afterwards. Other characters actually mock him behind his back for doing it. The ex-president's... Coolest... Coolest... Coolest, coolest bunch of back robbers I've ever seen. And yeah. a recent re-watch of this film, and I didn't do it for this, I've got to be honest. The gunfight at the end, I've never heard more realistic gunshots other than other in than heat. heat. Yeah. yeah. No. It's, it's a really surprisingly good film. I'm it does, sold. It I'm does, sold, it know, does come in. Back. Yeah. No, I haven't thought of this
0: film for a long, long time, but when I was watching Spider-Man Homecoming last year with when, you know, the, the fellas who had the masks on for the year, yeah. that's it. what it I thought and, and,
2: and again, it's some great, you know, the little Tom Sideswell cameo in it when he comes yeah. in, and he's like, do you, know, do you think I like my fucking hair like this? Yeah. <laughs>
0: little,
2: <laughs> little bits, and little, uh, uh, Keanu Reeves drops a little Easter egg. He, t- he tails Bodie. And he says he went here, he went there, then he went to Patrick's Roadhouse. Oh wow. <laughs> and this is like two years after Yeah. Yeah. I gotta be honest. It's not a natural pick for a sporting film. Like I said, I'm not I knew you would
1: you'd have an off of to choice. I, I, you know. But yeah, you took me by surprise. Right. I'm I'm intrigued now, Neil. I, I wanna go back and rewatch Patrick. The foot, the foot chase in it is oh, yeah, is yeah.
2: possibly the best purchase since the French Connection. Yeah. so
0: immediate and so...
2: French Connection 2. French Connection 2, sorry. Yes. Although yeah. I will mention... Nighthawks as well, the Stallone film's got a great for chasing it for people who yeah. haven't seen that. There's something about that film, like I said, I don't know whether it's, perhaps I didn't jump on the best straight away, where over the years I've grown in 30 for this yeah. film, and as I've got a bit older, I kind of relate to what, you know, we're all sort of, there's part of me that just wants to, you know, just be a surfer dude, I'm never going to be a surfer dude, but there's yeah. part of me that wants to have that philosophy, and yeah, I yeah. think it's a little bit of wishful thinking on my part. I'm sold,
1: I like it. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Cool choice. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Sorry for <laughs> <about> that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Steve,
0: you're number two. My um, number two is Moneyball. Ooh, which... Well, Aaron, Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin, That's Sorkin, what you said. Yes, now the Aaron Sorker... Yeah, so I see what you did there. Yeah, it's a film which, it if anything, it um, is an anti-sports film mm, yeah. because it's about this one baseball team, England Athletics, Yeah. and their general manager, Billy Bean, took the magic of baseball, which everybody talks about. you. I mean, there's so many films about the magic of baseball. Yeah. Mm. And he took all that away and he said, no, it's a statistical thing. Mm. We don't need big hitters, we don't need that clean, um, you know, that moment when the ball hits the bat and that, you know, clean, yeah. crisp sound. Mm. What we need is, can he get out to first base? Can he get out to second base? That's what we need. Yeah. And it takes away all that magic and yet the film is so captured I think it's, uh, Brad Pitt's one of his best performances. Mm. I think that um, it really captures the, the the background the, the way that they operate um, behind the scenes it's almost mundane and yet it's you know really really interesting because yeah. yeah. we, we appear in something we don't normally see yeah I, I, the music is is brilliant the directing is just outstanding I, I just I love that film and again I've seen it quite a few times it's a very different choice to Drafty yeah it's definitely different to Pond Break <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I've, I've seen Moneyball once
1: um I saw it the year after it came out I there's been times in my life where I've really been into American football, really been into basketball. That you know, two of the four big you know sports in America, aside from that, and, you know, ice hockey. Never really been into baseball. Didn't know who Billy Bean was. You know, I appreciated what the film was doing, but because I didn't know the character and because I had no affinity with the sport, I got to be honest with you, I found it pretty dull. But again. I don't think I'm part of the demographic the film is trying well, to aim itself I'm at. I'm not
0: a fan of baseball. I know, mm. I can sit down and watch a little bit of it, but I don't understand all the nuances of it. Yeah. You know. However, I, I just like to have that little you know, the peering behind the scenes. I really appreciate yeah. that. It's, it's definitely
1: got an Aaron Sorkin sort of feel to it that you, you get the feeling that there's not that much bullshit pasted over things. Mm. It it you're getting a bit of a warts and all view of things. Yeah. yeah. Even though there's not much in the way of controversy surrounding Billy Bean and that film. As no, in, no, like, no. negative towards his character. Yeah, I, I do get the feeling that what we're seeing is, is, is an accurate p- portrayal. I, yeah, and you got I do like the,
0: the writer as well, uh, Michael Lewis, isn't it? I think. The Blind Side, which is another excellent sports film mm-hmm. um, And he's written um, The Big Short. Yeah. You know, he, he's written all these books. And he's an excellent, he's one of these writers that he can write about a really complicated system, like finance or something. And then, as you're watching it or as you're reading the book, you think, I hey, understand this. And then somebody asks you a question afterwards and you don't have
2: (laughs) (laughs) a But still entertaining as well, still absorbing, yeah. And I say, I think he's got that sort of little, that sort of market corner, hasn't Mm -hmm. he, where he can take an everyday real fact and present it in such a way where, like you say, it doesn't have to be bells and whistles
1: attached to it. He still makes it interesting without going overboard. Yeah, 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 Yeah. exactly. Okay, so, titled over this uh, and the order in which these are going to come. I I said earlier on that Raging Bull was a better film than the other two films i have picked. And I've just realised now that is, I'm not able to say that with much confidence my next choice is a film that Neil you and I saw together back on the the day it was um, initially released which was back in 2008 it's a film that I have still only seen the once I said earlier on it's very rare that I'll watch a film once and rate it a 10 I came out of this there was no doubt in my mind this film was a 10 the film immediately went on to do extremely well at the Golden Globes. Unfortunately, it didn't do as well in the Oscars that followed. I think the main lead was Robbed. He was absolutely deserving of the Best Actor Oscar. That film, 2008, Darren Aronofsky, Mickey Rourke, The Wrestler. That's my number two as well. So There you go. go. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, I i can't remember the last time a film moved me in the cinema as much as this did. I think you and, you and I left the cinema and we were pretty much speechless. I think we literally must have said words to the effect of, that was incredible. It's one of the few times that I've sat in a cinema, and especially
2: with uh, another guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I okay. want a date, we were with other men. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> was a group of us. Was a oh, couple 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 I was, I was, I was generally concerned that I was going to burst out
1: crying in front yeah, of all of you. I know. And it touched me to that degree. Yeah. It's an incredible film. And unlike Raging Bull, the, the sport of wrestling, or, or sports entertainment, does feature far more prominently. And it is as much about the sport as it is about the character. It, if anything, more so. Because ultimately the path he follows is because of the demands that sport places on him. The physical demands and then the fact that he, he basically completely has messed things up in his personal life and in relationship with his daughter. It's just such a moving film, such an honest film. It, it's brutal. It shows the, 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 the behind the scenes thing of... You know, I've seen several documentaries on wrestling. I know wrestling gets a bit of a hard time because it is more sports entertainment than sports. But there is... There's a, dark, there's, there's a dark there's a dark side to wrestling the politics behind it the incredible physical strain that goes that, that these men put themselves through and women Now, it's just a remarkable film it's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen alongside Raging But I, w- I would say the Mickey Rourke's performance is it's in the same ballpark and Robert De Niro's as Jake LaMotta yeah. incredible he film didn't, he didn't win the Oscar, that um,
2: that I don't know. It could be. I think he made a lot of enemies along the way. Yeah, Mickey, Mickey
1: Rourke Mickey Rourke obviously went through. You know, he was never Hollywood's golden boy. He. what well, he, he could been. have been. He could have been. He, 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 he have kicked been. back at being Hollywood's golden. He did. Boy. That's he, the he difference. Was, yeah. He was a hell raiser, wasn't he? he and you talked about
2: someone who, you know, I think he'd had two fights before he sort of got made the big break into acting. Yeah. And then decided he wanted to go back boxing, and yeah. having seen Mickey Rourke box. Yeah, he made the wrong choice. He made the wrong choice. Definitely. He actually fought about two, three years ago in Russia. Yeah. I watched him live on Box Nation fight,
1: and it was quite bizarre to see it. Like I, I don't think I don't think anyone thought that we'd be seeing anything of a, of a you know Mickey Rourke come back. But he'd already started it, really, in Sin City in 2005, yeah. playing Marv. Yeah, and Stallone had given him a bit of a leg up as well now, with it, Gekka. So just to go back, actually, back, he, you know, he had already come back because in Sin City, he's absolutely incredible. You, you, be say, you say about characters mm-hmm. like um, Christopher Reeve and Gallagher, though perfectly um, yeah. portraying a comic book character. No better performance in a comic book film. That's more like the character than in than Frank Miller's Sin City. Mickey Rourke playing Marv, incredible. I, I was going to say when we were, when we were sort of getting a list together in my head, I,
2: I instantly I was going to say well, I didn't know you were going to go through wrestler as well. My first line was going to be Mickey Rourke's finest hour, and as soon as I said, I was like, ooh, hush your mouth, you know, because yeah, you got Marv is
0: uh, a it's a, yeah, it, no, there's I, a good I, balance I, I, yeah. there between a the completely like, yeah. different
2: role. He's not done much since either, is he? You know, no. he's not. He's not gone on. Yeah, and it was, was um, almost like he, yeah, that was his. his
0: expendables and so, he was in. Yeah, Man, yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was in Iron Man 2. Yeah, and, uh, that's my son's favorite bad guy. Really, in all Blatch. of Marvel. He loves Whiplash. Oh, he loves the, Iron Man too. Can you go. Home, you
1: give your boy. A pat on the back because <laughs> <He's> definitely <laughs> yeah, one of the strongest. anyone that has listened to the Wrong Reel episode, the, the first one I ever did with uh Wrong Reel, where myself and James Hancock. Spoke at length about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I am a strong defender of Iron Man 2. I give my reasons why in that episode. It's episode 210, if you want to look back through the wrong real archive. I, I know there's issues with the film, but I think it's just unfairly maligned. And Mickey Rourke is perfectly fine in it. He certainly brings an amazing physicality to the role. And yeah, good on your boy. Good choice. Well, yeah, more, more sort of two-dimensional than just I'm a bad guy. I want to go over no, your planet. He
2: has right. genuine, genuine yeah. motivation there. You know? yeah, to, um, Howard Stark screwed my dad over. Yeah. I'm going to get back at his son. Great. I mean, the, the lens... The I mean, Ricky Rock didn't want to do this. No, when he was first off to him, he turned it down, I think it was two or three times. The studio yeah. wanted Nicholas Cage. You know, again, yeah. we're going into and Dafoe boy break territory again. He actually agreed to do it on the proviso that he could rewrite a lot of his own lines. Yeah. And one of the things he wanted was when he was boxing, he used to have Sweet Child of Mine. The studio said, we haven't got the budget to get a Guns N' Roses. We've already got a soundtrack. Got it. Gives his pal or Rose a ring. Yeah. Guess the rights to the song for free. That's the yeah. way. That's the way Hollywood no, works. <laughs>
1: well, whether this is true or not, and again, I I'm, I'm, I'm never too eager to trust um, some of the trivia on IMDb. But apparently, the original choice that the studio wanted was Nicolas Cage. Yeah, the Aronofsky fought to have Raw play Randy the Ram Robinson. He was made to play that. He part. was. He was that, that was. Yeah, that was the role he was made to play. He, as much as like you know, uh, Rob De Niro was the the method actor in *Raging Bull*. Mickey Rock was actually. Juicing himself with him. a he he razor blades to cut himself.
2: And juicing himself in other ways, in which, other you, ways, which yeah. he openly admitted. Which to he openly you. Admitted to, yeah. Um, which is. You know. Do you know the steroid dealer And he? he buys the gear off. Actually so Scott Siegel. You know, actually, he got arrested he for selling steroids. <laughs> steroid dealer in the film. He was actually
1: arrested a few months after the film's release for possession of steroids yeah. and assaulting federal officers. And you got Marissa Tomei as well. Marissa Tomei, incredible. Absolutely fantastic. Incredible. And Evan Rachel Wood as his, yeah. as his daughter.
2: Marissa me in that film, I mean, it'd be easy, especially given the character she is playing, yeah. to look at her as just like incredibly hot. She is incredibly hot, but the depth she brings to that character Absolutely. and the, yeah. way she, the way she softens to him, the way she sees, you know, once his gas drops dropping, there's that great line when he says, you know, the only place I can get hurt is outside the ring, or right. paraphrasing yeah. that. But as, as the film goes on, no, back, it's the only have,
1: place I get hurt is out there. Is it? The right. all don't and, give a shit about me.
2: The one <laughs> scene we've got to talk about when he sort of semi-retires after the heart surgery, Mm -hmm. goes to work in the supermarket... You, you want some fucking cheese, lady? You want some fucking cheese? And he starts punching the, oh, the <laughs> meat slicer. I mean, yeah, and you, we were, you know, going back to, a, again, perhaps we shouldn't perhaps be shouldn't laughing. at that. Was, you and I both we were laughing. <laughs> right.
1: The Wrestler, one of the most enjoyable cinema experiences I've had. It, it did take me by surprise how much I enjoyed the film. Not that by then I didn't think that Mickey Raw could deliver. It's just, you know, I thought, is it going to be, what side of wrestling is it going to show? But it, you know, it, it was just warts and all sort of Behind-the-scenes thing of of just the, the shit that these guys go through, and yeah, I would a, say, a worthy number two. Again, this film could, could easily be my number one if it wasn't for the fact that I think the film I've picked is more an important look at the sport that it represents. But my number one choice, again, and I'm going to say this confidently: now, my number one choice as a film on its own isn't as good as my numbers three and two.
2: Yeah,
1: but I'll go into that when we come to it. But
2: like we were saying about the dark side of wrestling and stuff, I I grew up almost detesting wrestling. Mm-hmm. It was you know it was fake. Yeah. It was My son absolutely loves it. I took him to watch a wrestling show, only a uh, regional, sort of Welsh wrestling. There was a guy there, uh, I wish I could remember his name now. After the show, paused and had pictures taken with all the kids. He signed autographs. He was fantastic. He was great in the ring as well. My son wanted a picture taken with him and he said, like our Facebook page, upload the pictures. So I thought, yeah, great, I'll do that. The next day, there was a picture of this guy in a hospital bed because he'd separated his shoulder.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? Now this guy was the first fight. At the end of the evening, he was having his pictures taken with the kids, and I thought, you know, there's a side to, like we say, the side to things. We always just assume they're just basically like acrobats. The physical knocks these guys are taking, and it brought home to me after, Mm. you know, after actually reminded me of the wrestler the way this guy had kept that persona up all night, and the fans are the most important thing. It really amazed me.
1: So Neil, obviously that's (laughs) your number two as well, the wrestler, yeah, Steve.
0: My number Are we one, your number one. My number one, if Moneyball is an anti-sports film taking away the magic mm-hmm. of um, sports, and my number one is Field of Dreams, which is all about magic. Yeah, it is the. So it's I got, a wonderful it, I got life. my prediction right then, Steve. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. Yes, yeah. it's, it's the Wonderful Life of our generation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a film where I think women have got um, beaches and they can go in and cry in as much as they like. Yeah, men have got feel Dreams. Yeah. I fully a, agree. It, 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 I actually read the book before I saw the film, and I loved it. Yeah, And seeing the film, is it is magic. It's about magic. It is magic. It is it's magic, a very yeah. moving yeah. film. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, you don't have to know anything about baseball. No. you just got to have a heart, I think, to watch it. I
2: agree. And again, it's one of those films that quite
1: easily could have been in my number three. Could have quite easily been in my number one. But I was that confident that someone else
0: was yeah. going to choose
1: yeah. it. Well, I think it's a film that you, you could have probably replaced baseball with a... With a any number of sports, mm-hmm. and maybe a lot of it, what well, works in the film would have still work. and it's got James Earl Jones in it as well. And Bird One Lanc- of my old time Bird Lancaster,
2: f- yeah. yeah,
0: I know, yeah, I know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <What laughs> this is this no, the words exactly. Right? exactly no, what it's no, you see it is performance performance, Lancaster, something like um, Sweet Smile Success, yeah, and then you see him or um, the swimmer, Gandry, and then yeah. you see him in this film, completely different, yeah, and he just wins you over, you know. It's a film I could again I could what put you on and and James Earl
2: Jones. And James and Earl, well, I love him. The Burt Lancaster. You you, you you see a lot of the representation of the baseball players, and they all go back to being young. And he's still yeah. a do- he's still a doctor because that was his most rewarding thing. Oh, he enjoyed yeah, baseball, yeah. but then then my it's life all started. Coming back to me now. My life came. My life became better as I got older. Yeah, whereas yeah. everyone else used to be harking back to that. It just gets me every time. Yeah, I could does. I could I could finish talking about
1: it. <laughs> it did, didn't make my list, but there's no doubt it's one of the best sport related films. Oh, I've never seen I oh, love it. Classic absolutely. film. Okay, uh, we're on to my number one. Okay, my number one is not the best of my three. It's not the best film out of the three I picked, but I've championed this film now for a long time. Neil knows that because Neil came to know this film because of me. Yeah. I am a huge fan of motor racing. There's a lot of motor racing films such as Ron Howard's Rush, the uh, Steve McQueen film Le Mans, which in various. To- degrees or two various degrees give a a very good and accurate portrayal of motor racing. But a film for me that just encapsulates a certain time and place in a sport where that sport was going through the most important changes in the history of the sport is John Frankenheimer's film Grand Prix. Obviously Neil, I don't think that's gonna come as much surprise I picked that film. I I know I am (laughs) I will I will wave the flag, the the black and white flag for Grand Prix um, as long as I live. Made in nineteen sixty six the making of this film is is as fascinating as the actual film itself. It was filmed alongside the 1966-67 Formula One season. And when I say alongside, they were actually filming race scenes in between the actual race events as they were occurring. Stars James Garner, Eve Montan, Toshiro Mifuni, Brian Bedford. Bedford, Montan, and Garner play the three main racers in the film. It is the most accurate depiction of the sport I've ever seen. It's the most accurate depiction of any sport I've ever seen. Not only did you have famous actors, but you had real-life Formula 1 racers actually in the film. Uh, People like Jackie Stewart, who at the time was championing massive changes which would come in after that season. Basically, in motor racing back in that era, there was a fair chance that every race someone would die or get COC injured. It was by far the most dangerous sport. All the safety restrictions that we take for granted now in Formula 1 have started as a result of this particular season of Grand Prix racing, it, it was building up, and basically this incredibly strong community of of team managers and drivers, more importantly, were sick basically of seeing their, their friends die or get you know really badly hurt. From a technical point of view, John Frankenheimer has always you know he's always been a very technical director and always sort of put realism above most other things. It's quite a melodramatic film and there are particular scenes which some people might find a little bit cloying and a little bit you know overly dramatic aside from those films which are still quite well done and they still get across the camaraderie between the drivers and the teams and and the sort of behind the scenes stuff and the fact that these guys as much as they it's incredibly competitive sport there is a there's an amazing sense of community From a technical point of view, the film is absolutely outstanding. They didn't use real Formula 1 cars for the actual filming. They used Formula 3 because they couldn't actually afford Formula 1 cars for the the actual racing. The cost of which at the time were were just ridiculous. would have been completely cost prohibitive. But when you're actually watching James Garner driving in that car, any other film filmed at the time, James Garner would have been on a green screen. It would have been a process shot. Mm. In Grand Prix, James Garner did all of his own racing scenes. They were actually coming up with new techniques on the fly. These cars, as much as it was, very, it was very risky to offset the balance of these cars, but they would put a big armature on the car with a camera facing the driver. And there's one scene in particular, which I believe is on Monza. Now, the Monza track at the time had the layout of the track was... You have to see the film to believe it. It, was, it had one corner with a high banking where you'd be doing about 150, 160 miles an hour. And at the top, you had basically a paper-thin metal fence prevent you from going over the edge of the, the end of the track Which was about 40 or 50 feet off the ground behind it into a load of trees and these drivers were just pushing the absolute limits uh, of the car and very frequently losing their lives when you see james garner driving 150 miles an hour along this track you see the camera pan around to show that he is driving that car and behind the scenes when james garner was in between filming days he would actually go out on the track and he would race other racers and he would frequently win. It is a technically astounding film. It's not short. It's nearly three hours long. Neil, I I, I talked you into watching this film, didn't I, a few years ago? You gave... Yeah, I can't remember if it was a Blu-ray. DVD, I gave you the DVD, DVD, yeah. You gave me. And i
2: I got to be... I, can't, I have no interest at all in motor racing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did enjoy Rush, I but, yeah. um, but that was after this. The thought of sitting there and watching an almost three hour film, especially that type of film that a film I'd never heard of, yeah. that I hadn't heard anyone else even about, that mm-hmm. no one else was recommending to me, and I watched it almost begrudgingly. I think I was actually off off, off the sick off, on the sick from work. I was amazed by how good this film was. I was mm-hmm. totally sucked in. I love the fact you've got an intermission on the DVD as well. Yeah, To me, that was just I mean. amazing. Yeah, for a three hour film, you would have needed it. This yeah. this film just touched me so much. It was. There's there's genuine high adrenaline excitement and also bone crushing heartbreak in this film.
1: Yeah. It's from the opening scene of the opening credits are just pure car porn. You just if you if you look back on um, film eighty nine, I've done an article about uh, the film. And I actually do. A, I've got a little screen grab of pretty much most of the frames from the opening credit scene, which shows the beginning of or, or the warm up to the race at Monaco, yeah. and it's just you see pistons. Uh, Opening and, and, and valves opening, closing throttles, and 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 tires being put on, it exhausts and gauges, and it's just it's, it's pure car porn. But it, it is absolutely phenomenal. It, it's a very pathetic film because it showed one of the main drivers. Bear in mind, this is nineteen sixty six. He gets involved, a horrendous car crash where he's where he's badly burnt because he pushed the limits of his car, and then weeks later he gets back behind the steering wheel. Um against doctor's orders, he's extremely badly burnt, but he's such a driven, you know, competitive sportsman that he just pushes his body to you know dangerous levels. That was nineteen sixty-six. Nineteen seventy-six.
0: Exactly Jimmy the I same know. thing Jimmy happens Jimmy
1: with Nicky Lauda, who was involved in this incredible competitive sort of streak with James Hunt in the nineteen seventy-six Formula One season. Pushes himself, he's he's a very technical um driver, ends up in a horrendous crash where he gets extremely badly burnt. What happens a few weeks? I think it was eight weeks later, he's back behind the wheel. So well, the film scene when he predicted, puts the back on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and, and th- this film 10 years before, by some miracle, predicts something I, to happen, I have to watch that happened 10 years movie. later. I have
0: heard of it, but I've never seen
1: it. That's my number one because it after that the, um, the safety regulations which are brought in started to completely change Grand Prix, and as much as it took decades for the sport to become you know, as safe as it is now, yeah. it still shows that these guys were willing to risk everything for this sport. A lot of them paid the ultimate price. Yeah, an amazing film, man. It, it and just gets my absolute highest recommendation. I was going to say,
2: that, you know, you get to see the sort of, the again, the behind-the-scenes year the work in the Ferrari boss. Yeah, in particular, like, well, um,
1: this is one of the things. They don't change the names of any of the teams. Now, at the time, the boss of Ferrari was... He was known for just being basically an absolute bastard, and he would not have not have as much consideration for his drivers and their safety and their lives as he should have. Now, Adolfo Celli, who's the um, the villain in Thunderball, yeah. he actually plays, although he goes by a different name in the film, he is the boss of Ferrari and he is still an absolute shit in the film. Which is that cold-heartedness you do yeah, now you, you work for me and you win. Bearing in mind that the filmmaking team were working with these, these real Formula 1 teams at the time and you know they they had such a good relationship. How they were able to get this one past the Ferrari boss without him kicking up a stink is beyond me. And the fact that you know maybe he was just he didn't care and he didn't watch the film, but he isn't portrayed in a particularly good light at all. And I don't think if this was happening today, there's no way there's no way that they would be able to make such a, a negative sort of portrayal of someone who's still active in the sport. So all credit to the film. It's, it's just the sense of realism throughout is just remarkable that's my number one Neil uh,
2: that, I, I, I knew you were going to pick it again I'm so, being so wise after the event uh, to anyone who's not seen it please don't, be, uh, don't we, be hesitant on you this You should have been surprised,
1: should we? because it's directed no. by John Frank and I moved in yeah. French Connection to one of our favourite films and Ronin, another film we yeah. I I Yeah,
2: I can't recommend this film enough and it it, it completely took me, I'm forever in your debt because I would have never watched that if film. You, if you
1: want a last sort of um, gushing, stuttering sort of appraisal <laughs> of the film, go back, read my article. Um, I, it, I tried to make it as, as informative as possible because it, it really is an education of a film and Steve's going to be going from here now and he's going to be taking my copy with him.
2: Yeah, and you—I I guarantee you'll be—you'll yeah. be on board with this.
0: Well, I, I can't wait to
2: see it, now. Uh, number one, it's going to be no surprise to anyone. Uh, with, they say it's a film that literally, at nine years old, over the top. <laughs> over the top. i am i am going to—I'm going to go for the original film. I could have easily picked at least two or three of the other serial, uh, the series of films. I actually saw number two first, but I'm going to go for. This long story, my dad couldn't rent Rocky One, so he had to rent Rocky Two. So. Yeah. But I'm going to go for Rocky One. Yeah. Great. <laughs> this this film is literally at seven years old. I watched this film and I, I wanted to be Rocky Balboa. I'm 42 now. I still want to be Rocky Balboa. <laughs> this film has shaped my life in so many ways. You know, you're talking about a film that was made in 1976. People go on about franchises, they're still making films. Yeah, I know. This yeah. character. Yeah. This is this is you know this is a guy who, who got nominated for best actor in the 1977 Oscars, and then in the 2016 Oscars for the same character. Gets nominated again. When has that ever happened? <laughs> I I really like I say I could name two or three of the other films, particularly Rocky Balboa, mm. which is I've got old and I've tended to relate more to, to be honest. Um, yeah. I love this film. I absolutely love this film. Like I say, Stallone was inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, and the press, I think the boxing press made a big hoo-ha about did he deserve to be in there? He's never had any formal involvement with boxing. Yeah, but
0: he's done so much for boxing through that film. They
2: did a poll of champions present and past. I think it was like 80% of boxers under a certain age said, the reason I'm a boxer is because I went to see Rocky. You know what more can you say? I mean, this is it's based uh, allegedly on the Ali Chuck Webner fight. Mm-hmm. I know in the end you had to pay Chuck Webner a sizable amount of yeah, money for that. Yeah. The only similarities is that is that you get washed up over the hill boxer fighting an enigma like Ali, and in this case, we have Apollo Creed. Yeah, that's the only similarities, really. Chuck Webner was a very different character to how Rocky was portrayed and was initially Rocky was supposed to be along those lines. Yeah, if our listeners wanted more information about the recent Chuck (laughs) Weapon where would you point them? I would look uh, onto film89.co.uk for the Lee Schreiber starring Chuck film uh, which I believe is written by a young aspiring (laughs) wannabe writer called Neil Gaskin. Give it a go. (laughs) Yeah, give it a go. They, like I say, the cast into this film is fantastic. Stallone has written this film in the space of twenty four hours, the first draft of the script at least, mm-hmm. has gone back and rewritten it in another <laughs> two weeks, I think. At one stage he gets offered three hundred thousand dollars. And we're going back to the mid seventies to walk away from this film. Yeah. Yeah, to allow someone else to stay. they talking about Ryan O'Neill, I think Burt Reynolds, Clint yeah, Eastwood. But, yeah. There was some you know, they wanted a big hit. Everyone down.
1: wanted the role and, and they you know, the he, studio didn't want Stallone.
2: Yeah, in much the same way the Stallone's got one shot of as Rocky, he's got one shot of Gloria, yeah. of, uh, you know, uh, 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 being Rocky Balboa, he's got one shot of Gloria finally getting to star in a movie. He did it for Peanuts. By all accounts, he was on a warning virtually every day that the studio was going to get rid of him. So much of that film is filmed guerrilla style, all the training sequences. Yeah, they they're yeah. literally just chucking him out of the van and saying, right, run around town,
0: mm. you know, and then
2: jumping out with cameras. Yeah.
0: Well, that's something about the film. You know it's a fairy tale. It's so gritty. And again, this city plays yeah, some yeah.
2: Philadelphia plays. I mean, Philadelphia is probably the toughest boxing city you're going you're gonna to get. You're going to like see your Joe Frazier's, your Bernard Hopkins. Real hard men. Real modern-day dinosaurs.
1: Yeah.
2: I know the original choice for Carl, Carl Webber's obviously is up forever going to be Apollo Creed. I can't watch Rocky Four without a tear coming into my eye. No. I, the original choice, uh, they considered Joe Frazier. Then they were going to use Ken Norton, uh, who'd recently beat Muhammad Ali. Ken Norton pulled out the last moments. Ken Norton has probably the best physique of a boxer you'll ever see. Would have looked great, but I don't know how well he could have acted. I know he did a few sort of action movies in the mid-80s, but I don't think there's much you can write into them. Carl Weathers comes in as a former NFL player, and he he basically is Ali in this film. Yeah. One of the proudest moments of my life was standing in front of Carl Weathers and shadow boxing with him. You did. He, you he did, instantly yeah. knew I was. A, and when he said, I'm not fighting another Southpaw, because I am left handed, that yeah. was literally shivers down the back of my spine. You go on to Rocky 2, which is a darker film. Rocky 3 becomes more sort of 80s action. Rocky 4 is a series of montages, but it's getting still fantastic. Five, I'm just going to skip over. Yeah. And then you jump 10 years later to Rocky Balboa, which yeah. is a beautiful film. The supporting cast, you've got Burt Young, Talia Shire. Yeah. You know, these are all great, you know, really sort of well-established actors, you know, through the Godfather Burgess films. Meredith. Yeah, Burgess Meredith. The, the knock against it, the fight scenes aren't the most realistic. And as yeah. the film series went on, they get more and more. Yeah, comic. It, well, it, it doesn't really matter. I would yeah. say, apart from Balboa, which yeah, yeah. was shot by HBO. Yes, yeah, it was. <laughs> and looks yeah. fantastic. i got to be honest, actually does look like a real boxing match. Yeah. It's, it's that sort of true underdog story, and I think so,
1: it's, it's it's the one you know. Anytime you mention underdog stories, people just think Rocky.
2: So many so many films have tried to mimic it. I mean, no one gets close. I mean, John uh, G. Alvaston who directed the original Rocky film kind of did it with the Karate Kid films afterwards, but yeah. no one captures that sort of down-on-his-luck, chump with a heart, the way yeah. Stallone does. He's forever going to be Rocky. I'm, for, I'm forever going to be a massive Rocky fan. If someone came up to me and argued that Rage and Bill's a better boxing film, you wouldn't get any argument from mm-hmm. me. From a personal level, though, I
1: absolutely adore Rocky yeah. Boboer. Yeah, the only reason I didn't pick Rocky is because I couldn't pick which of the films um, is my favourite, ultimately. Because I have got a soft spot for three and four and Balboa. At the same time, I didn't want to pick that over the first one. So I thought, Neil's going to pick one of them anyway. So I picked Region <laughs> I think I,
0: we covered every single one. Of them, so I was yeah.
2: going to say, again, we talk about soundtracks and scores. Oh. That's got to be up there, the Rocky Bill, tune. Bill Conti. Bill Conti's wow. Rocky tune. Unbelievable. And to this day, it's still on my headphones every time yeah. I train. The last time I walked out to the ring, what did I have playing? Only for about 10 seconds, admittedly, was Bill
1: Conti's Rocky Tube before I walked out. Yeah. And, yeah, same year, I've got Hearts on Fire. Hearts yeah, on Fire, which we have duetted. We, 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 we may at one point have done a karaoke version of that, and we may have... Murdered it. We killed it. We killed it. We killed it.
2: Yeah, like I said, for me, Stallone is... He's, Literally, he's he's his most iconic role. Yeah, you, you go into the Rambo's, you can go into other types. He's always going to be Rocky Balboa, and I always want him to be Rocky Balboa. Yeah, when they first announced Creed, I dreaded
1: seeing that film. I know, yeah, you know, and they we, just, think we were a bit ah, oh, you know, it's a bit of a contrived spin-off, but again. And I actually didn't want to see... I wouldn't
2: have even minded if they'd done the spinoff without Rocky being in it, and I didn't want to see Rocky in it, because I thought Rocky Balboa was such a perfect ending to the mm. saga. And then he just goes and gets me yet, yet again, yeah. you know? And there was rumours that he wasn't going to be involved with Creed 2, I and mean, that, that was definitely back on board at one stage, he was going to direct it, but uh, yeah, Rocky, all the way, going the
0: distance.
1: Yeah, It's it's probably <laughs> going to be the one sports film that's, that's going to top most people's lists, or, or certainly be out there. I think
0: that's a Quite a few really, really good choices, isn't yeah. it?
1: Yeah. So, just a, a little other thing. Um, the, the, the fifth member of the Film 89 team who's yet to make his podcast debut, Hayden Spurrell, who um, lives in sunny Melbourne. He's uh, sent me his list, which at number three, you've got um, from 2000, Denzel Washington, Remember the Titans. I
0: love that film. Yeah. yeah.
1: Being a yeah. massive American football fan, I'm sure you would. And then at number two, he put The Wrestler, which is mine and Neil's number two. And number one, Rocky. Oh, so, I,
2: yeah, I can so there you go, guys. Richie Roberts has also sent in his list, which was uh, Blades of Glory. <laughs> 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 I'm joking. Well, A
0: few, few,
1: few honourable mentions. Few. Oh, sorry, honourable mentions, okay. Steve.
0: Well, I would have gone for um, Remember the Titans. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, I love that film. Oh, There's so many, yeah. and especially boxing. Film because that yeah. be um, Boxing seems to be the one for, um, sport that you can do... Uh, a Film about without actually
2: touching it, you know, it doesn't have to be about sports, no, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, but uh, so many of them I find funny, like sort of stereotypical, don't they? But yeah, it yeah. seems to be quite an easy formula you know, to, mm. to do, not always to get yeah. right, but to do. Yeah, well, it does say um,
0: any given Sunday as
1: well. Any given Sunday, when you were mentioning oh, American football that.
2: films, that was the so one I was, the I was gravitating American Football films was always overlooked is Gridiron
1: Gang, mm-hmm. with the very,
2: very early, yeah, early performance by yeah. Dwayne Roth Johnson, yeah. Um, honourable mentions, definitely, got. To, if we were going to include, I'm going to include a documentary. Might be cheating a little bit. when we at no, when, when we were kings. Yeah, so. we did.
1: When we were kings, yeah, fantastic. Senna. And again,
2: my fascination. Senna's
1: um, that's one of my honourable mentions. Mm-hmm. Incredible. The only issue I've got with it is it sort of leaned more towards the portrayal of the competition between it and Senna and Alan Prost. Whereas I think also you had coming out of that, he was, as much as he was a more friendly competition, with Nigel Mansell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, what an incredible film. What I will say as well,
2: again my Stallone fascination doesn't come into this. I do want to just kind of be my uncle. Mm. But that's Escape the Victory. Uh, yeah. what's that called in America? I, victory. Think, it's, I think it's just it's called, called victory. victory, yeah. With yeah. Um, again, George Houston directed yeah. it, you know, which know. a lot of people forget. John Houston, no. And you've got you know Michael Cain and yeah. a, a Bevy of you who's who are football yeah, stars at in international Ozzy yeah. 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 Bobby Moore. John Walk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Foxcatcher was another one uh, I don't know if anyone's seen uh, no, that I I, seen that. That. Yeah, I, seen that. No. I was quite I don't know whether it was lucky or unlucky in a way I'd watched a documentary on uh, was it DuPont was the mm. wrestling I'm not going to say coach because he wasn't a coach no, he wanted, yeah, just, wanted to call him a coach yeah, he was basically just a rich man wasn't he yeah. I'd watched a documentary on that and found for whatever reason again not interested in wrestling in any way but I ended up watching a documentary and then watched the film after and I, Steve Carell's performance in that People mm. go on about uh, Franco doing Wiso. Yeah. Carell, yeah, definitely. I, I think he won, I think it was a Golden Globe he won for that. I'm not right. sure if it was an Oscar. I think he got an Oscar yeah. nod for it. But whatever he won, he definitely deserved it. And again, Channing Tatum, we always kind of write off. I know he's done
1: a few serious mm. roles.
2: One of his best for me.
1: Yeah. Steve Mansion Senna, that's on my list, as are the Rocky films. The other one, Warrior. Yeah, that's mm, on yeah. my list, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not. Tom Hardy, Joe Edgerton, fantastic actors. Um, Nick Nolte, yeah. Never really been an actor that um, I've ever really got on with, and there's always been something about him. This, I don't know, I, I just always have my misgivings about him. Warrior, wow, it just showed how wrong I was. Emotional was, gut punch for that. One. Emotional gut punch of the highest order. It's one of those films that, um, again, I've only seen it once, but it left a mark on me. Talking about documentary films, this is the one film that could have taken the top spot if it wasn't for the fact that I haven't seen it for such a long time. It's a documentary, 1994, Hoop Dreams.
0: Wow,
1: that's great. I saw this, well, I literally think I saw it the year it came out. It's about two young um, guys, William Gates and Arthur Agee. They're both trying to get into the world of basketball. And um, Two inner-city Chicago boys struggling to become college basketball players. Come from different backgrounds. Just a remarkable film. It's touching nearly three hours, but I, I encourage anyone out there. It's available on Cr- Criterion Collection. Absolutely fantastic film, and if anything, probably alongside Senna... Or possibly more so. That probably the best sports documentary you've ever seen.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if I can just name one more, which I wish I'd thought of Go ahead. when I was making my list, Ong back on back, uh, on back. Yeah. It's a
1: sports Are we so in martial arts? Yeah, I suppose so, it is. Yeah, of course. it is a
2: competitive months. martial arts. Tony Jar. will we, so we, uh, oh, we bringing yeah. Kickboxer and <laughs> <laughs> we'll Enter the Dragon? If we're looking for just sports. Tell right, you what,
1: we'll do a top three martial arts fight in the future. But if, we're, if we're
2: right, you are right. looking at sports related films, Caddyshack is a sports film. yes Big Lebowski is a sports film. Of course it is. And more importantly, Happy Gilmore. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Once again, Carl Weathers dying. What is it with Carl Weathers yeah. dying? Uh, He's breaking my heart. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, joking, uh, I'm joking with those. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Warrior was definitely, Warrior was one that could have yeah. easily have made the top three for me. Yeah. i not all looked, just about fighting films,
1: honestly, but oh, yeah, yeah, it could have been just for the performers, of Nick Nolte in particular. So there you go. All right. Top three sports films. I put the feelers out there early on in the week and asked, uh, social media just to fire away with some questions. And, um, we had a few responses, and I've narrowed it down to three, simply because I knew we'd be pushed for time, given the subject matter we're talking about tonight. And I wanted to keep the episode around about two hours. So, first one is um, Thomas Wood on Twitter, that's at Thomas Wood asks, Film 89 does a lot of reviews of older films, something I wish more sites and podcasts would cover. Will you guys also be reviewing older films on the podcast, or will that be reserved just for the site? Yes, it's obviously early days, but we have got a plan written out. Certainly myself and Steve have had a chat about some of the films we're going to be talking about in depth, older, classic films. Not going to give anything away uh, away at the moment. That will be something that is going to be coming up. The format of the show is going to be quite flexible, and we're certainly going to be devoting entire episodes to discussing classic films or groups of classic films or or, or particular directors. If you go to the site as well, we've got such such a great sort of retrospective the, the, yeah, normally. huge amount. You know, film, just to keep you going until we do get to those. Yeah. As Steve and I explained on on the last episode of Wrong Real, we were on the, the Quentin Tarantino episode. There's a strong retrospective leaning um, on the site, and you know, we, we love talking about all the films, classic films that we love, and yet we are going to be incorporating that into the podcast. The next question is Mark Hewer from Facebook asks, guys, um, love your top three comedies. Will you be doing top threes every episode? And if so, I'd love to hear your top three most underrated films. Okay. When we're discussing or picking these films, we need a bit of preparation. So, as much as I think um, the intention there, Mark, you were going to suggest a topic for this week. Uh, We'd already picked sports films, but most underrated films. We like championing films that um, we love, that we think don't get recognition. So, at some point in the near future, we're definitely going to be picking that as a topic. Uh, Nikki Durham on Twitter asks, What are your feelings on Hollywood constantly remaking classic films? is Hollywood out of fresh ideas?
0: No. No, it's not. As, as things like no. Yes.
1: Hollywood has been made has been remaking films since you know the, the films like Ben-Hur that was remade um in 1959 that was made um, in 1927 like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it was uh... you know it it's not a recent thing and yeah I know a lot of films these days are remakes and and reboots and a lot of them have, have failed to live up to the standards of the originals films like uh, 2012's Total Recall 2014's RoboCop and I think that's a major thing with with especially with our sort of generation is a lot of a
2: lot of the, of them, lot of the yeah. films are weak up with and now being remade and not given a good service when they are remade.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it's but there are there are, there are decent yeah. remakes out there. You've got to look at you know films like um, The Magnificent Seven, which is a, a remake of Seven Samurai, nineteen eighty six, The Fly. Yeah. David Cronenberg film, that's a remake. The One film. of our favourite films, 1982, John Carpenter's yeah. a Thing, which is a remake of 1951's a Thing from Another yeah, World.
0: Which is another film I love. I love yeah. both of them.
1: I, you know, you've got yeah. War of the Worlds 2005, which is a fairly decent remake. It's not as good as the original, but I know that film's got its fans. I think Hollywood, like you say, there's, there's thousands
2: of aspiring writers out there. There's thousands of aspiring directors out there. Hollywood's always going to produce, as the film we discussed in our main review today, Hollywood's always going to produce
1: yeah.
2: you know, original work. And forty, I think we always sort of look back at rose-tinted spectacles and mm. think that it's never happened before. You've just named like three or four different examples. Yeah, I, I,
1: I wrote um back, you know, the site wasn't that old actually back last year when um I wrote a, a feature article on, on remakes and tried to sort of look at both the good and bad. So if you just go on to Film89, type remakes into the search and it'll, it'll bring that one up. Cracking question, Nicky. Um, I think, guys, we're going to be pushing the two-hour mark. I think we're going to call it a day.
2: Yeah. Once again, can we say thank you to everyone who supported us on the yeah, last podcast is, and everyone who's supporting us through Twitter? And uh, Before we go, I've got to say, you were wearing perhaps the coolest T-shirt. I was going to wear my Rocky Balboa T-shirt tonight. I thought I'd give it away. You've just turned up the coolest a, T-shirt some, I've ever seen. Something I
1: just th- I, I just threw on before the podcast. Yeah, this, this, Neil, is my brand new White Dragon Noodle Bar T-shirt from the film Blade Runner with the lovely Charlotte and Last Exit to Nowhere was able to source me and um, they've actually uh, sold out of this shirt online um, the size I wanted and um, she was very kind to provide me with both this and several other amazing film-related garments. And if you go on lastexittonowhere.com at the moment until the 31st of January, if you put in the code WINTER20 the checkout, you will get 20% off all items. That's me sorted because I've I to be honest,
2: I, I, go through the, I go through their site and I could spend thousands i could live in uh, nothing but t-shirts looking at
1: that site they they are absolutely fantastic a lot of the references are so subtle that not everyone will get them but you go out in the street and you know someone who knows the film of the t-shirt you're wearing will look at it they'll give you a wink and say yeah cool shirt yeah yeah so guys that's it the uh, difficult second album hope you've enjoyed it and stay tuned there'll be more to come stay classy